Hello, I'm Jeff Lister, and welcome to Wait, What? Comics and Pop Culture Podcast, coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. Today, Graham McMillan and I come correct with almost two and a half hours of answers for questions asked by our awesome Patreon supporters. Topics discussed today include our superpowers, merch, universes, whatever happened to DC continuity, Binder, the early days of new Marvel, licensing comics, and, of course, the right way to love Batman. Comments on this episode are available at waitwhatpodcast.com. Send us your questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com, and we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Jeff Lester! Graham McMillan, hello! Wow. Hello. And you? <laughs> I'm, I'm okay. I'm I'm in one piece. I'm ready to do this. Yeah. Are, uh, that's, that's a bold statement. Are you sure you're ready to do this? This, this could be a big deal, Jeff. That's true. That's true. Graham McMillan, I prepped. So we'll see how things go. You did? Yeah. You've, you've taken a look at the questions and thought ahead, haven't you? I did. I did, yes. First, I did. The questions and was like, I'll think about them at the time. In other words, what we always do. Totally. Totally. Um, although what? I have to say, there was, I, you know, sometimes we have like the questions that, you know, Listeners, hello. As you know, if you listen to us uh, every once in a while, we do a Q&A episode, and when I say episode, I mean sometime a month worth of episodes No, we see, answer this, this perfect this time around. We asked our, our Patreon patrons. Yes. That, that'd that be a better way of saying that. We asked the people who support us on Patreon. Who patronize us. There you us. go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of days ago. Do you have any questions? And we got a reasonable amount of questions. I think we can do in an episode. Yeah, yeah. I'm. A, it's weird. I'm a little disappointed. I'm like nobody likes us anymore, Graham. You don't understand. <laughs> Jeff, we're we're un, if uh, if it's okay, so. This this is what we'll do. If we get through all the questions tonight, mm-hmm. then we can end this episode by telling everyone else that they can tweet us because normally oh, ask on Twitter oh, we, that's true right right oh, we, I see what you're ask saying. on Twitter we can ask on the podcast and tell people to email us questions and that way you can get many more questions and we can spend just weeks trying to respond does that make you feel better yeah that that does make me feel better I have to say I feel a little bit better about that yeah I mean that's sure if as, as long as that <laughs> that works for you I guess <laughs> I you, thought we were doing pretty well I know but, but you know let's Jeff, I'm here to make you feel comfortable. Well, th- thank you, Graham. I appreciate that. And I'm here to make you feel uncomfortable. So I think that, uh, you Mission know, accomplished. we balance each other out. <laughs> um, shall we just jump into the questions? I, I think we should. I think we should, right? I think so. Because who knows? Because there are some of these, that some of them could go long. And then if we wrap up in a decent hour, we can talk about comics or news or comics news or newsy comics or whatever, whatever. Yeah, we're into. Let's, like, let's limit it to comics news. Let's not just talk about the news. Well, that's oh, true. Shit. Indictments, huh? How did that go? How was your indictment day? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. You're absolutely right. Okay. Well, yes. Yeah, so questions, Graham. Shall we get to the yes. questions? Shall we start with Paul Spence, who was the first person to ask us the question? I think so, yes. Absolutely. Greetings, whatnots, he says. And that's normally what we say. And that, that that alone made me think, wait, are we the whatnots? Or are the people who listen to whatnots? I, I prefer... Who it's whatnots? A, I, the think whatnots. I think it's a communal who watches the whatnots. Is that what you said? Who wants the whatnots? <laughs> 
whatnot or whatnot. Greetings, whatnots. I'm delighted to see that you'll be doing another Q&A episode. You and me both, Paul. I have a couple of related questions for you. Number one, who do you think hates superheroes more, Pat Mills or Garth Ennis? <laughs> Jeff? Uh, you know, honestly, I'm going to go with Garth Ennis. I was going to go with Pat Mills. Interesting. I here's why. I don't think Garth Ennis really gives a shit that much. Uh, yeah. Yeah, okay. Actually hate, and I think mm-hmm. Garth Ennis is just like, oh, fucking whatever. See, whereas I think this is, maybe this is the funny thing, because I feel that, that, well, okay. Yeah, I see what you're saying. I would say that at the time that Pat Mills was, he, I will say this. I think Pat Mills, when he was hating superheroes, hated superheroes more than Garth Ennis hated superheroes when Garth Ennis hated superheroes. Because I think when Pat Mills really hated superheroes, it was because he was, you know, basically leaving the 2000 AD era and essentially with the exception of a few things like Epic and maybe weird stuff like Eclipse or whatever, there was kind of nothing for him. And so I think Pat Mills' hatred really came from a holy shit I love comics, but I'm never going to have a career in comics because there's nothing but superheroes, and I hate them. I think, or, or alternatively, he was like, "Why have I found myself writing Punisher 2099? I hate myself." Well, but I'm, you know, where is, <laughs> and I think that's a good point. Well, but I think I think that Garth Ennis, by contrast, at the point where he most hated superheroes, was kind of looking down the barrel of shit. I, you know, like. I can't, you know, I'm not going to go back to Vertigo. What else can I do? I'm going to write Tangled Web of Spider-Man and basically kind of hate life. You know what I mean? Like, I think he's, I think that that, that brings up an interesting point for me. Yeah. And this this might be something that proves that we're not even going to answer these 14 questions in time. (laughs) But I feel, and correct me if I'm, I'm totally wrong in this. I feel Axel Alonso going to Marvel brought a lot of people who otherwise wouldn't have written superheroes to have to write superheroes because that's all Marvel published. Well, you I... Know, so you had, like, yeah. Asrello, mm-hmm. you had... I don't think... Did Garth Ennis really write A Tangled Web of Spider-Man? I really hope he didn't. Oh, yeah. It was a two-part... Two, it was oh, a two-part, two-issue thing. Yeah, absolutely. But absolutely. but you know what I mean? Like, you know, you had all these people all of a sudden they're like, I, I you know, I like Axel uh, and, and I want right. the Marvel money. So I guess I'm writing, oh, Spider-Man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but I mean, like you could say that one of the things that I think is I, I think that was step A. Yeah. And then I think what happened was step B is Alonzo really did take seriously the idea behind the Max line to try and open up slightly different venues for people to write it. Ultimately, I think that just meant the Punisher, but I think there was something. Also, I think... There must be other Max books besides the Punisher and Alias, right? Well, there was Cage. Right. There's Brian Azzarello's... So there's Brian Azzarello doing Cage, which was black exploitation. There was, uh, you know, Chuck Austin's, like, horny heavy The Eternal... um, you know, oh shit! I I honestly completely forgot about that. But I and honestly, I think I also might have been happier forgetting about that. 
I, I feel there must have been like a Max Moon Knight at some point. Is am I imagining that? I don't know if there was. I don't Given think... Axel Lonto's utter obsession with Moon Knight. Right. I, uh, I'm like that that's so surprising if that never happened. I don't think if that there's it... never a Max Moon Knight series. I, I don't think that it did, although frankly I think that, that uh Moon Knight Moon Knight the Bottom by uh was it Sean Houston and David Finch? Uh, Charlie Houston? Charlie Houston, uh, yeah. Actually, on, Charlie. I, no, 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 you're right. Charlie Houston. No, but I'm, I'm wondering if it was Houston or not. Uh, um, I think it was. No? Maybe I'm wrong. Let's see. It is Charlie Houston and David Finch. There David Finch, right. Should have been a Max book, as I recall. <laughs> but, uh. That I, I heard, um, you know I was listening to the, the Slate Working Podcast series mm-hmm. and had an Uh, Finch talked about that book without naming it in that in his episode. Oh, really? Yeah, as as the one time that he didn't draw what was in the script because it was so bad. Really? Yeah. And I'm fairly sure Houston has talked about this as well. Hmm. That that uh, that he he disliked the script for the the Moon Knight series so much he he just refused to draw it and he drew something else instead. Hmm. Wow. That's interesting. Huh. How, uh, it, was, it was like, it's just, it was just, he was like, it was just such a bad script. Hmm. It was, it was just so, so bad. So not, like, just, I, I, he, he wasn't meaning bad in, in the sense of like, it was bad writing, mm-hmm. but in the sense of like, it wasn't a comic. Do uh, something else. As in like, I think he meant that it was like, you know, entirely static, you know, Here's two people having a conversation for 20 minutes, and and from and the, the directions were essentially like head one, heads two, head one, head two. Right. Yeah, I believe that. I, I suppose that is. Although, frankly, again, there was that whole period with Marvel where, like, that's why I was like, I'm not sure. Like, honestly, David Finch also drew uh, the call line of duty, the call, or no, 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 the the firefighter one. That, that even though. Oh, yeah. And even oh, though. I forgot it. Did he? Yeah. I, I honestly don't remember. Yeah, yeah, that was actually kind of his big, one of his big starts. And in fact, uh. Call of Duty, there you go. Yeah, Bill, old Bill Jameis compared Finch to Milo Manera? He compared him. To, <laughs> no. He, yeah, he compared him to like. He did uh, call, he did Call of Duty, uh, The Brotherhood. Which yeah, was he, written by Chuck Austin. He, he, right. Is the Brotherhood the firefighter one? Cause there was the cop one that I guess Bruce Jones did. Yeah, it looks that. like, it looks like, it looks like there was Call of Duty the Brotherhood, Call of Duty the Precinct, and Call of Duty the Wagon. Oh, okay, right. Alright, got it, got it, got it, right. And one was, I, I want to say maybe the cop one was Bruce Jones and Daniel Zazage, or whatever. Bruce Jones and Tom Mandrake, and Chuck Austin and Daniel Zazage. Oh, okay. Did, did the Wagon. The which Wagon. Is the medic yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I, um, and I mean, there was That's some an shit amazing in memory for, let's be honest, shitty comics that most people don't even remember exists. You know, and you I, remember the creative teams. Yeah, well, thank you. Uh, it, it, you know what it is, is it's the miracle of working in the comic shop during that era. So it was literally, I'm, I would read. And I'm, I'm only yeah. being quasi sarcastic. I'm, I honestly thought that that just didn't sell at all. 
Uh, did and didn't. I mean, well, so this is the thing. Working in the comic book shop, that was the deal. Like, unlike when you go to a comic shop and you're like, you have your books that you read and maybe if you're, you know, if you're one of those, like, dedicated customers, you spend a lot of time on the racks. Like, because I was writing reviews with Hibs for the Savage Critics and working behind the counter, Friday I would try and read as many comics as, as possible. So... So I, so I read those and honestly there was part of me that despite, you know, Jameis kind of being a dickhead in a lot of ways, I think that, I think that his idea of particularly nine, post 9-11 being like, we should do comic stories about the real heroes, I'm, I'm kind of into it. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot mm-hmm. of stuff that Jameis was trying to sort of, some of the some of the fundamentals that Marvel that 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 was going on in manga made a lot of sense to to Jameis. Jameis was uh, was terrible in many 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 ways. Yeah, but his willingness to go, why are we actually doing this? Mm-hmm. It is admirable, mm-hmm. I, and I think becomes all the more so. The longer that Marvel shows itself to be more and more conservative, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, because I think, because um, I think Jameis played the game on the part of the of the entrepreneurs. You know what I mean? He's he is he was the guy who you know was angling for sort of the celebrity CEO profile or who bought into that sort of hype. And so I think he really did. He looked at the marketplace. Um I remember him writing a little piece about uh Wolverine what the fuck is the origin? Origin? Comic? Yeah, Wolverine Origin. And kind of saying like, you know, like, hey, I sort of wanted to do the origin of Wolverine and kind of like, you know, and and this is the part that was crazy. He's like, who's our audience? You know, so like I wanted the origin of Wolverine to start when he was like basically a spoiled teenage kid in the suburbs because that's that's our audience, which mm-hmm. is a wrong, but b kind of amazing. Because there is, like, that sort of thinking is, again, much closer to what you're going to find from an editor on Shonen Jump than you're going to find uh, in the Marvel DC stable for the most part. And so, again, like, I'm like, I part of me would be really happy if, if Call of Duty The Wagon or Call of Duty The Precinct or Call of Duty um, The Brotherhood, if those had been hits, you know? Um, and of course they weren't, but like, you know, Jameis was doing an unfortunate, this is one of the things that he, he's probably not the only one who picked up on this, but I feel Jameis and Casada were the first guys in at Marvel who really pushed aggressively the, no, it's a hit because we told, tell you it's a hit. You know, it doesn't matter mm-hmm. that the marketplace says that it's not a hit. We're going to give it a second series and you're going to, you're going to like it until we realize it's a mistake, you know? So, and. Well, that's just it. So I, I'm looking at the, the, uh, the history of the call. Mm-hmm. And so it had the three miniseries of which 
you know, who knows whether any of them hits. But then they had an ongoing series, which lasted four issues. Yeah. Well, and I think that, honestly, uh, although I could be wrong, I think there's a lot to be said for it's possible that David Finch was kind of an up-and-coming artist, and there was a certain amount of heat uh, attached to him in that weird way that, that Finch kind of, like, smolders and fumes and I, I they might have they might have maybe made it work i don't even necessarily that was well, he wasn't he wasn't attached to the ongoing yeah the well, ongoing and chuck austin it. and pat olaf yeah and i think that's where things again that's kind of where i think things fall off sort of there was a lot of james seemed to put a lot of his eggs in chuck austin's basket which Considering how much they were both into kind of like the titillation factor makes that phrase really gross sounding more so than it should be, I guess. But, but yeah, I think, I think that, and that's the other thing is, is that Jameis, unfortunately, I think also had a habit of backing a lot of the wrong horses, uh, at least as far as Chuck Austin's concerned. And apparently as far as Brian Bendis is concerned, the absolute right horse, you know, so, mm. Um, let's go to Paul's, uh, part two of Paul's question. Cause we never even finished Paul's question. Right. Well, I don't know. I'm sure we, we finished part one, but I do, I do have to say, well, that, we, we answered, we answered who we thought hated superheroes more. Yeah, I guess like, that's true. Right. We, we thought it was different people, but we answered. Well, and I think I, I think I do want to rescind my comment cause I do realize that Garth Ennis can tell a good Superman story. You know what I mean? And I think that's, I don't even think Pat Mills can do that. Yeah, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I, there, as you know, I have tons of respect for Pat Mills in lots of ways. But I think Garth Ennis, if nothing else, through in Hitman, was able to tell like a really good Superman story because he was able to talk about. He really gets Superman as America in a very um, appropriate way, you know. Yeah. Well, I think. And- Superman, I feel, is almost a gimme for Ennis because Ennis really buys into Americana. Yeah. In a way that so many British creators don't. Right. You know, Ennis really does. Really, really, really does. Right. And so Superman feels like the superhero he was always going to be the most likely to get. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know? Like, it's, I can't see, I, I just can't see NS doing like a Green Lantern story. Well, exactly. You know? Cause he, which he did in Hitman and was totally making fun of Kyle Rayner well, and Green it, Lantern. That's what I mean, but yeah. like if he tried to do a straight Green Lantern story, yeah. like, I, 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 no. I can't imagine it. Right. But Superman he gets you know? because, cause it's Americana, but it's also the immigrant's experience. It's the Im- yes. immigrant's dream of America is Superman. And, and I think Ennis get, is, has the immigrant stream about America. So I think he can embrace that, you know, and I don't think, yeah. so I think, so I think you're right. I think we've got to give it to Mills as hating superheroes more. Part two. Yes. If you had to choose to read either the boys or martial law, which would you choose and why? This is a weird question for me because I think we've both read both. Uh, of think... course, there is a third option, which would be to read neither, but I'm not <laughs> going to let you off the hook that easily. Right. I mean, does he mean reread or does he mean recommend? Um, bleh. I don't know. I think, I think he means, I think, he, well, cause I don't, I think that he assumes perhaps incorrectly or not, but I will fess up. I've read martial law. I have not read all of martial law. I, I read the, I have read more than once the first miniseries. I might've once read the second miniseries and I've read nothing else since. 
Uh, I'm not sure there's much more. Well, there's a few. Like, I feel you've read more than half of Martial Law at that point. I think so, too, but I I I think there's... there's like a Hellraiser crossover in there, and there's at least a one-shot. Yeah, he's got a couple of crossovers, and then there's also, I want to say, maybe a third miniseries, but maybe I'm wrong on that, you know? So, I I feel like I'm maybe halfway through, maybe it is two-thirds of the way through Martial Law. Uh, yeah, I don't think I'd assume that you've only you've never read all of the boys. I'm fairly sure I've read all the boys, if only because remember I was on the dynamite oh, mailing list. Right? Yeah, you did. Right, right, right. Exactly. So uh, I mean, yeah. I might not have read all of the like because there's miniseries mm-hmm. in there as well. I might not have read all the miniseries, mm-hmm. but I'm fairly sure I read like all the miniseries. Right. Uh, my answer would be I'd read Martial Law because ultimately it's closer to 2000 AD. Yeah, I, I think, I think Paul to split the, it depends, it depends on the sort of comics you read, which is probably a cheat. But like, I think the first, first Martial Law series works as a mini series in a kind of weird 2000 AD version of the Dark Knight Returns. It kind of almost works as like the Watchmen version of Dark Knight Returns. You know what I mean? It's kind of like, yeah, here's here's your analogs. Here's why I hate superheroes, and here's basically a full, complete story about that. And I and I think that is part of why it's always been hard for me to delve past it because it was a satisfying experience. The boys, uh, I think, is one ended up being one of the best things that Ennis has ever written. Um. And kind of a superior achievement if you are a fan of Ennis. In yeah, that well, sense. that's just it. I And I am not. And yeah. so the boys just made me go, huh. Right. Whereas <laughs> like, I, this, is a, this is like Garth Ennis coming. Yeah, exactly. You know? Exactly. It, 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 and so, so it ultimately comes down to, for me, 2080 is closer to my real house. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'd rather read Martial Law. But, but you're right. Martial Law... Anything past the first series is superfluous. Mm-hmm. You know, it makes it makes its point, and also, to be honest, it makes all of the good jokes in the series. Yeah, right. Yep. You know, everything past that is diminishing returns to I, I, by the end of it. Like I, because I, I want to say there's there's definitely the Kingdom of the Blind, mm-hmm. which I remember as a one shot that was serialized and toxic. But I might be misremembering. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a Hellraiser. Uh, miniseries, crossover miniseries. I want to say there's another crossover miniseries there in there somewhere. There is too, and I can't remember what it fucking is. Is like Alien or like Death Race or I don't fucking know. You know, I I don't know Hellboy. Like I'm, yeah, I, I'm I, I'm looking it up because I I'm super curious now. Publications. There was oh god, there's a lot. Yes, yeah, I haven't read all uh, martial law at all. Yeah. So there's a six issue miniseries. Then there's martial law takes Manhattan, which right. is the one shot. Mm. Then there's the Kingdom of the Blind, which is another one shot. I read those. Mm-hmm. Then there's the Hateful Dead, which I've also read because that was in Toxic. Wow. Then there's Super Babylon. Haven't read versus martial law versus Pinhead. Mm-hmm. I've read. Martial Law Secret Tribunal, I think I've read. Martial Law Savage Dragon and Martial Law The Mask. Okay. I knew there were two weird fucked up crossovers. Yeah, yeah I haven't read those. Yeah. And also, I haven't read the novels. Mm. Do you remember the novels? I forgot. I, to- I admit yeah. I totally forgot. Yeah. 
Although, looking at it now, I did read the deluxe edition from DC, which seems to collect everything. So I guess I have read Are you sure you read that? I didn't think that came out. Nope, it definitely did, because I, I, I want to say I even gave you my copy, Jeff. Jesus Christ. I feel like <laughs> that's really weird. Yeah, it definitely weird. came out. Definitely came out. Maybe you did. You know, I think you did, and I might have had Kevin O'Neill sign it. I think. <laughs> yeah, it has everything but the crossovers in there, apparently. Oh, jeez. And so, yeah, I guess I have read. I guess I have read all the martial laws, but and, and they have completely gone from my brain. Yeah, yeah, which I which I I think sort of makes sense because yeah. Anyway, so right, uh, for me, like I said, if you like Ennis, if you liked Ennis's other stuff, The Boys starts off. I think as kind of substandard Ennis and then towards the end ends up being pretty close to superlative Ennis. So I think, I think. What, what's the crossover for you? Why, why, why does it change? More than when does it change? Oh, why does it change? Um, yeah, yeah. Why did it go from substandard? Cause I, I think, I think you're right. Insofar as I think it started off as not Ennis by numbers, but it definitely read like Ennis by numbers. Mm-hmm. And there came a point where you were like, oh no, he's actually going much deeper than it seemed. Yes, exactly. Uh, uh, I think that, I think that the big part for me is, is that whether or not you truly can end up believing it in the end I think Ennis very specifically with the character of Butcher um, takes moves as the character moves into the spotlight and moves from the sort of traditional Ennis anti-hero and then moves him to quote unquote villain uh, I think that he is uh, I think the change in that is kind of important uh, in that sense. I, I think that the other thing is is that Ennis sort of to a fault uses a lot of his superhero comics to talk about America. And I think that in The Boys, the first half of his stuff about superheroes is essentially kind of like, oh, it's... It's my take on America, which is essentially that it's vacuous, fuck happy, um, brain dead pop culture. And then as the books go on and the secret history is revealed about the superheroes, it essentially parallels that of America, which is behind America's sort of fuck happy pop cultural facade is a um dynamic and uh voracious military industrial complex that is that basically wants to keep people diverted in celebrity scandal and mindless punch em ups um but all of, even that aspect is essentially this blossoming flower from essentially all America's really cared about, which is making war and gather, gaining assets. And mm-hmm. Butcher's character ends up sort of being this weird 
in between character where he sort of starts as the anti-hero, moves into the psychopath so that he's sort of the villain, and then at the end puts it at, um, I don't know, kind of, you know, the showdown be- between, uh, Huey and, and Butcher ends up, to me, it's, it's, um, it's Ennis basically like everything is really crafted in a way that, that I felt like the end of Preacher kind of didn't. And he's like, no, okay, I'm actually going to have these two characters be best friends who have fallen out. And it's more or less a showdown between the two of them because they are at ideological opposite ends as opposed to in Preacher where I'm kind of like one character's evil in the way that I sort of think of evil kind of in a vague defined way and the other guy's right and incredibly self-righteous and I think I think the end of the boys is a lot more um, uh, uh, he crafts something that I think Ennis believes much more closely in which again is sort of that idea of like I'm not sure that he really believes that you, that it's essentially any attempt to live by an ideal is going to grind you up. Um, that that's sort of the way the system's entailed, but, but you can still have friendship and friendship is a redemptive force. Um, as far as Ennis is concerned. Also, I think that there's the fact of, like I said, to me, catching on to the point where, and I think it's really along the time that, uh, uh, the Frenchman buys the complete run of 2000 AD and gives them to, uh, what's her name? To read as a way to more Is or she less. She knocked the girl. Am I misremembering? That? I think that's right. I think I, I'm hoping that's right. Gives her the whole run of 2000 AD and you're like, uh, for me, it was like, that was the big O moment. Like it's called the boys because it's kind of like this really sort of, you know, it's, it's a it's a reference to an Iggy Pop thing, but it really is. This is sort of what Ennis is. Ennis really does have a thematic statement that men are boys. Ultimately, when you get down to it, and the way in which he makes all of those do it. Admittedly, it's Ennis. So in some cases, that means that you've got a black man who gains his powers by still lactating at his mother's breast at the age of whatever. Right. Yeah, which is... And he's called Mother's Milk just to, like, really... Yeah, exactly. You know, push that home. Yeah. So I'm not, yeah. I'm not saying that... Right, yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, but as far, but as far as it being an actual complete thing that you can think about, and there are layers there, and... and well, Ennis I mean, that's really true, and we're comparing it to martial law, which is hardly subtle. Exactly. Exactly. And, but... But like I said, that first sort of, again, Watchmen version of Dark Knight Returns is also very satisfying, is really, really satisfying. I sort of feel for Pat Mills because, um, you know, uh, Matt Maxwell and I ended up talking to him at, I think it was San Diego Con, if not WonderCon. I think it was San Diego Con, very briefly. And Pat Mills, incredibly sort of charming guy. And we were talking about, this was right before Watchmen the movie opened and oh no wait maybe it was after because he was he was saying that at one he mills had told us I, at one point have you even been to san diego since Watchmen? i think i think i must have i think i must have either that or this was WonderCon. but i definitely know that there was um basically mills was saying he was like yeah at one point there was a lot of interest in martial law around hollywood and then it died down. 
He's like, it, it was like we were getting all these meetings and suddenly the meetings all went away. And I was like, Ugh. I, cause I said something, you know, snide, like, yeah, I'm sure if the test, test numbers on Watchmen had been better, you probably would have had a movie deal. And he, and he actually said like, you know, which is probably just the Brits way of being, you know, super polite. He's like, you know, I, I really think you're right. He's like, cause it, it all died at once and they just kind of had this way cause we were hearing everything about Watchmen during the time and then suddenly everyone just stopped talking about it. So he's like, I think that, I think you're right. I think the test screenings got out and people thought it was, it was dire. But part of me is always like, eh, in the world where like Watchmen was like a huge hit and everyone loved it, like, We'd be watching Tom Hardy uh, in Martial Law, like, already. You know what I mean? So. Oh, God. What <laughs> horrifying thoughts. <laughs> I'm into John it, John Andrews Into asks, it, yes. I'm, I'm moving on, Jeff. John Andrews asks, and I, these, these are relatively fast questions. Yeah. Can I get you guys to read Finder? I have. I'm sure you have. You I, must have read Finder. I, 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 Graham! Oh my god, it's bad enough that John Andrews doesn't know this. Like, but we've talked about Finder on exactly. the podcast. Exactly, right? I adore Finder, we've talked about it. I was the one who, like, totally got you to read, um, Five Women or whatever it was. Damn you. You, you and Jay Edden. Who, who you, no, who, it was, who, no, cause it was, it was way before that. No, Graham. You're totally right, you're totally right. Yeah, yeah. And I completely forgot about Finder, and then Jay got me to read it. Yep. Yeah. Where yeah, is... you're, totally, you're totally right. You were the first person to get on my case about Carlos Pete McNeil. Yeah, because I, I loved it. I had, when again, when I worked at Comics Experience, I loved Finder so much. All we had were the first, she had the first two trades out. And I, I basically wrote them up in the Comics Experience newsletter and said, like, this is the best thing ever. Buy it. And, um, you know, basically with a money back guarantee, if you don't like it, I'll buy the copies back from you. And, and I'm sure never had to go through on that. You know, I didn't because I talked to Hibbs and he was like, yeah, a couple of people have like come back and said, it's not my thing. And I just paid them for it. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, I should pay you for it. He's like, no, no, no. He's like, I appreciate what you did. You made a stand. And he's like, not everyone's brought him back, but he's like, but I've had a few returns because Carlos Speed McNeil's art finder is fucking awesome. And it's incredibly uh, dense. And it's not necessarily to everyone's taste too. Her cartooning style, uh, uh, you know, which I adore. Um, I think her cartooning styles, I, maybe not to everyone's taste, but I think it's amazingly yeah. inviting and charming and, and, and to more people's taste than a lot of other artists. You would think, you would think, you know, like I, 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 I she is one of the more approachable artists I can think of, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, you would think. But I'm, I mean, again, so I love Finder. I adore Finder, and you're absolutely right, John. I think issue 22, I, I think that actually the character of Jaeger is one of those characters where you can see all the Wolverine influences all over Jaeger, and it, to me, it's this huge, a source of credit to the talent of of McNeil that she grows that character far far beyond um basically what we end up with Wolverine you know what i mean like she just in part cuz she can take that character everywhere but the fact is that Jaeger is uh, a tracker and a loner with like healing abilities and and a fight and and a roughhouse 
and McNeil really takes that character and 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 brings it all over the place. The fact that she that McNeil really has as her topic, I feel um race and class divisions and can talk about it by crafting an incredibly complex and real future science fiction society is just stunning to me. There's just, I think my problem is I don't know it, how much I feel like she's had some pages in Dark Horse Presents. I don't even know if they've been collected yet, but I feel yeah, like there I, hasn't. I'm fairly sure they have. I'm fairly sure there's been a, a uh, well, it depends how recently you're talking. Mm-hmm. But I definitely won't say there's been, cause, cause Dark Horse did like the Finder Library. Yeah. They, I had, they, they I had like two volumes a, of that. A chunk. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. They, they compressed it all into like two enormous volumes that I had for like the longest time, despite having all of the trades. And in many, I don't, I don't remember if I got on, if I had, if I, this was during my, I buy the single issues, I buy the trades, I buy the hardcover stage of my life probably so anyway john andrews you're right finder is great there there is your your cries should be heard in the wilderness people should go out and and get them now and honestly i feel like there should be a way that carlos speed mcneil should make tons and tons more money you know what i mean (laughs) yes so i know i i completely agree she's she is curiously unknown for someone who is so good Mm mm-hmm I agree. I, I absolutely You know, agree. and it's not that I think... I, it's not that comics is a meritocracy. Mm-hmm. We Like, everyone fucking knows that. But there's something genuinely strange to me that Finders remains quite the, the unknown thing that it is. Yeah. Because it seems to have... Not that it's just so good, but it seems to have so much of what, quote-unquote, fandom is looking for. Outside of superheroes, you know. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. I mean, uh, I, I, it, it kills me. I honestly, I wish that I, in my opinion, I just wish that Carlos Speed McNeil had the connections and the political savvy that Neil Gaiman did and does, because I think that she is. To me, I feel like Finder should have won the World Fantasy Award like several times over. You know what I mean? Like yeah, it's this say, sort of thing. Multiple times yeah, right now. Absolutely. And also it should be uh it should have crossed over in the way that like Saga has. Yeah, I think so. I think you're right. I think you're right. Um and there could be reasons why that hasn't. I think it could be that um or even something it, like Stranger, Strangers in Paradise. Strangers oh yeah, in Paradise? De- definitely, yeah. yes. You know, cause I feel like, I feel like it's of the, you know, cause sometimes when I look at stuff like, oh yeah, like Saga, Saga's a great example in some ways. Although, and this is the thing, I think Saga is very, um, glib in a way that is, is good. Well, I, I, you know what I mean? I think that helps it cross over. Exactly. And what, you know, when you're saying, I, I think there's reasons that it hasn't crossed over like Saga. Mm-hmm. The first two things that came to mind were, one, Fiona Staples' art sells Saga in a way that Carlos B. Neal's, whose art I love, yeah. doesn't sell Finder. Right. And part of it is literally, 
like Saka's in color. You know? Exactly. That's why I was like, oh, you're totally right there. But also, you're right. Saga is kind of uh, less deep mm-hmm. and therefore more likely to be to cross over. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Whereas I know that the first couple of volumes, um, you know, I, McNeil has her uh, notes, editor, writer's notes in the back of the trades and they are fucking phenomenal. They really are that proof that it's like, oh, here's someone who is literally a genius, not in the hyperbolic way, but like a genuine genius. And yet I think consequently that means there, cause there were issues where I was like, I don't fucking know what I read. You know what I mean? And I think, I think she's <laughs> but, come but along. You have in that trust sense. where you're like, yes. I'm sticking with it. Exactly. But I, in like, that I sense, don't know what this is, yeah. but I think that it's something. Yeah, exactly. And I just, I think that that's a harder buy-in for people than something like Saga. Where it's kind of like, uh, in, it, it, Saga can sort of play it as like, hey, it's cartooniness. You know what I mean? Like, there's that idea of like, exactly. it's like, you know, it's guys with fucking television heads and exactly. they're a war and occasionally there's going to be fucking. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and all of that shit is like, oh, okay, I get it. Like, you know, mm-hmm. kind of that thing of, honestly, one of the <laughs> things that impressed me about Abe's, uh, essay about Saga was him talking about this idea of, there being science fiction and fantasy and the, the, this family, these characters who essentially are trying to escape being in one camp or the other and him talking about that as essentially this battle, like essentially people who want to have their comics and have them be about drama rather than genre. And I was like, Oh shit. Oh, that makes sense. But you know, but at the time it really felt like Vaughn was like, I've come up with the best way possible to make sure that, you know, my talking head A, talking head B is completely crazy and different because one of them's a robot with a tel- television head, you know, and the other one is like a, 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 a cat. A, yeah. <laughs> light, a lion cat or a, or a, a, an adorable seal janitor killer thing. I don't know. Anyway, so. Uh, yeah. Very quickly, before we move on, uh, talking about Finder just made me think, Finder is what everyone should read after, like, oh, I fucking love Halo Jones. I wish there was more books of Halo Jones. Mm, mm-hmm. You know, I think the other thing that I think is tough about Finder is, is that Finder does not come with a mission statement, and I think that makes it, it makes it really tough. Like... That's the, I remember the way that the gears changed on Finder. I was like, you know, cause the first two volumes follow Jaeger and then it goes off and then Jaeger comes back. And then the, the characters that you met as children in book one are adults in books five and six. And so there's kind of a little bit of a, what am I looking at? Am I looking at a generational drama and, you know, and, and McNeil has talked about, like, she's like, this is my haunted house story. And of course, her being her, her haunted house story is about, um, entirely about virtual reality and it's a haunted head story, you know, or yeah. her, she's like, I'm doing my crime noir kidnapping story, but it's actually about, you know, um, lion uh, uh, you know, uh, the interrelations between sort of a, a lion culture and human culture, you know? And so th- she, there's her coming of age story, her, 
just there's so much that she does she's able to fold those things in in like in multiple layers and therefore i think it fe- i feel like it makes it absurdly hard for for people to be like you know what I mean? They're just kind of like I love the word person was instantly going like Finder's great, but it's really hard to get into. But it's great. <laughs> well, no, because I think it is worth explaining a little bit. It is great to me. It's like absolutely one of the ten best comics of the last twenty years. It's just, but but at the same time, I also know that there's a variety of reasons. I think why despite it driving us nuts at kind of like we're like if it's so good why isn't like it the biggest fucking thing ever and i i feel like there is sadly is a variety of reasons for that and i i think that anyway so yeah i but you're right i i see what you're saying i think there's a lot of i i wish there was a way that we could get more finder i was really excited when dark horse kind of picked it up but then I also feel like it got derailed in a way, in a way that I don't understand. You know, part of me wishes that instead of it being Dark Horse, that there had been some sort of, it had, they had gotten reissued in like color during the whole image number one thing and Karen Gillan had agreed to write a, you know, a, a new prologue chapter drawn by McNeil for the first dozen issues or something like that so that it was this suddenly people could discover it like it was a new thing you know so but I don't know eh. whereas I'm like no 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 then it's not Finder yeah like the idea of like I, I no offense to Kieran but the idea of like Kieran writing Finder I'm like no <laughs> find, find, no but it's like Finder is is Carla, I I agree, but do, do you but, know what I mean? But yes, like, no, it, I totally. Like, do. I have a visceral, I have a visceral reaction to the idea of someone else writing it. Yeah, I I'm like I I want it. I, I wanted totally it to work. I wanted to sell. Yeah, no, I get it. I do, but but it's it's like no, no, that's no, that's wrong. Yeah, that's not a thing that we do. Right. Well. <laughs> Fine, Graham. Take the high road while I try and like save comics. That's awesome. Good exactly. I am, I am the worst. You Take are the, the worst. While, while Let her while die I in watch, poverty, Graham. Yeah, Good I'll work. Watch these movies be successes while all the source material just fucking falls into the ocean. Exactly. Thomas Rudd, or perhaps Rude, I might be mispronouncing your name, Thomas. I'm really sorry. Uh, says DC has eaten many other universes over the year. Charlton, Fawcett, Wildstorm, Milestone, etc., and with varying degrees of success, incorporated them into themselves. Is merging universes like this inherently impossible because of slightly different underlying assumptions? I think that's such a good question. Uh, and my answer, my, my, yeah, mm-hmm. my gut is yes. Yeah, my my, I have a two-pronged yes. Actually, my gut is yes because of the slightly different underlying assumptions, which I think really works for me. The other thing, and I could be wrong on this, is I think that superheroes universes shouldn't. My new theory is is they don't work going backwards. They should only go forward. You know what I mean? Like no, people's. I you're gonna have to unpack that. My my nostalgia. The nostalgia of people who are kind of like, hey, you know what? Those Fawcett books were great. Let's buy the Fawcett books. Or like, oh, hey, the Charlton stuff had great work by like 
some awesome work by like Wally Wood. Let's buy the Charlton universe and let's, let's get those characters back in there. Like, let's get this stuff redone. Like Dick, unsurprisingly, Dick Giordano, I think was like head of DC when they purchased the Charlton characters. And that's yeah, yeah. not a surprise. Right. But for me, I'm like, uh, I don't think to the extent that Thunder Agents, for example, quote unquote was a, worked back in uh the later uh, 60s or the early 70s part of me is like it's not it's it's the idea that you can buy up like the fly and turn the fly into a character that is going to work for today's audiences to me is less successful than um than, than creating new characters for the new times. You know what I mean? Like, in that sense, I sure. feel that Milestone had the best track record in that sense, in that Milestone was this separate company that was creating contemporary characters that DC was sort of, you know, co-publishing, licensing, however the hell the goddamn deal worked out. Um, but like Wildstorm, like the Wildstorm characters are like, to me, I'm like, yeah, those are characters that kind of were relevant in the 90s, sort of. Like, there's a certain amount of, like, you can get a, a little bit of piss and vinegar out of them in the in the early 2000s. But now at this stage, I think it's just better. It's better to get someone like Jack Kirby to come in and create, like, seven new books that are based on, like, today and now and this minute. And then, you know two-thirds of them fail, you know, but the, the, the ones that stick around end up having some juice in it rather than, like, taking that and being like, okay, we can we can make the shield work or like, ah, uh, we, you know, like we've got, we've got a handful, like the shadow and doc savage. Like, I love those characters. I really, really do. But I also think that you're kind of doomed by you're limiting yourself to the, Oh, I remember those crowd. And maybe every once in a while you'll get someone who picks this up and is like, Oh, you know, the shadow is a great graphic. What's happening in this comic. But I think, I think as a general rule of thumb, it's, it's, it's so funny that you're saying this because you said the shields and I thought back to not when DC had the line in like, you know, three or four years ago, mm -hmm. but when they had the line in the nineties and it was the impact line. Mm -hmm. And do you remember there basically came a point where they were like, oh, no one's buying this. We can go nuts. Mm. And so you had the comment. And I think Mark Wade was writing at the time. Mm -hmm. And like this, this young Mark Wade who has nothing to lose. And he's, he's like, oh, so the comment, what if we just like, you know, this book's getting canceled into issues. Why don't we just go nuts and say, oh, he's been an alien all along and he never realized it. Right. And at one point, like he takes off his mask and he's like, oh shit, I'm not human at all. Right. Right. And you know, I remember, I remember things like that and I was like, oh, that, like, that was exciting. Yes. Cause it really was a, you go like, I have no idea where this is going. And again, it only happened because they were fucking getting cancelled. Right. You know, but, but things like that. And it kind of speaks to what you're talking about, yeah. which is do something unexpected. Don't mm -hmm. go for the nostalgic vote. Yeah. That's, that's kind of, kind of, I think that all, and, and I, and, and obviously this isn't always true because, uh, you know, people who, who listen to us and actually remember what we talk about, which is more than Graham and I do apparently, is remember how much I like, uh, the Black Hood coming out from Archie's Black Circle, which I thought was 
great. And the Black Hood is a legacy character and is treated like a legacy character. But, you know, it really helps that um, what uh, Dwayne Sorzynski and the creative team there want to do with it is is really is really different is really fucked up but i think is really different and really fucked up and interesting in a way that Swarzynski, if he had created his own character with that twist and owned it um i think i think it might have had legs it might have had more legs it might have had less but you know but the fact is there's something about the buying of the universes that is an ip move first is a way of like, here's a way for us to create things and own things without having to cr- pay creators. And I think that that, I think that bad faith sticks to it a little bit for the most part. For me, even beyond that, you look at something like Wildstorm or, or even Fawcett, even the Captain Marvel characters, mm-hmm. and there is like a tonal disconnect. There, there's, there's a, you can't, it's difficult to get, you know, Wildstorm to coexist with the Justice League. Right. You know, because they are products of different times, but they're also the products of different mindsets. Mm-hmm. And they're products of different tonality. That's right. And some of the concepts literally don't fit together. Mm-hmm. You can't have the Justice League in the, in the mm-hmm. same universe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it, one of them has to fail. Yeah, I... Uh, and and right. to an extent, same is true with Captain Marvel and the rest of the Justice That's League. That's right. Right. You know, like it, it, it just seems strange. It, and, and you see DC tie themselves some fucking nuts trying to make Captain Marvel work over and over and over and over exactly. again. Exactly. Exactly. And, and it just, it, it continually doesn't. And that's not to say that some of them aren't fun. Like I still think the, the Jeff Johns, Gary Frank Shazam, mm-hmm. uh, works for what it was, which was essentially, you know, a graphic novel for all intents and purposes. Mm-hmm. But I think as soon as they're like, and then he's a member of the Justice League, you're like, no, no. Right. Yeah. Like, sure, but what, like, you're kind of reducing Shazam. Like, you're, although they said, like, I am the person who this morning on Twitter was like, oh, you do Shazam, this Legion of Superheroes. Hmm. Like, that's appearing I'd want to see. So, right. I am, I am simultaneously, like, talking out of both sides of my, my. Well, no, part. because I, I think as you point out, and as, as Tomas points out, the idea is, um, you know, the Fawcett Captain Marvel books and the Legion of Superheroes are, are, have similar, are closer to having similar underlying assumptions. They well, literally they, they have both, the similar they both characters. Have, I mean, creators. But also, they both have uh, an optimism. Well, yeah, exactly. That's what I mean that, by that, different under, underlying plays, assumptions. Very, mm-hmm. Yeah, it plays very well together. Um, and, you know, I, and I, I said this on Twitter, but I think if you're going to do Legion of Superheroes now, you have to have a point of view character from today mm-hmm. to, to, like, introduce the concepts and to explain things. Mm-hmm. And Shazam just seems like a really interesting character to put in that position. Well, also, I was going to point out, like, Otto Binder is, like, an important force for both characters, right? I mean, both, like, Legion of Superheroes is, has, well, yeah. yeah, and, and Binder was a big Captain Marvel dude, so it's, it makes a lot of sense. Honestly, it's a great choice, Graham. I, why is that, Chef? Thomas, the second question, uh, which two superhero universes would you want to see a murder of? Right. Uh, 
so, okay, so my thing is, is that, um, after saying all the stuff that we just said, uh, <laughs> I, I have, I have fantasies where these, like someone stuck around at Wildstorm that was able to make nice with Alan Moore and get some sort of partial reconciliation with Moore such that he was like, eh, whatever, like, you know, if gave his blessing ideally, but at least just kind of like refused to condemn it such that the ABC universe, the, the, all the characters he created for America's best comics could cross over with the DC universe, but kind of only in a sort of once a year kind of way. And you know, have you, I, I have, I take it you haven't seen the news about the terrifics then. Oh, right. Cause, right. Cause Tom Strong's in Tom that, Strong. Right? Yeah. Tom Strong's going to be in the terrifics. Yeah. And I think, and that's kind of my thing is like, that's a, that's kind of a bad idea. You know what I mean? It like, seems, it seems like such a weird idea to me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what? not least of which, like I will, I will, I'm very curious about the Watchmen contract because on one hand, I think that uh DC theoretically has the right to keep Watchmen in print. I think before Watchmen is is an incredible show of bad faith on DC's part. Mm-hmm. Uh and as is Doomsday Clock for that matter, because you know, if it's just keeping Watchmen in print, you can make the argument that they're keeping they're living up to the terms of the contract. Mm-hmm. But as soon as they start doing derivative works, yeah. then you're like, well no, you're doing derivative works. Like, yeah. like you clearly believe you fully own this. And therefore, it's a bad faith effort on your part. But the ABC characters were all like owned by Al Moore, weren't they? Uh, like, I don't understand how Tom Strong can show up in. Actually, in, it's a uh, it's a different factor. Yeah. I think my understanding, and I could be wrong, is unlike Watchmen, where more created the Warren Gibbons created the characters and they were basically told no they're yours no this is a big thing it's just it's we're just we we're basically the caretakers until the books go out of print kind of deal and like you said the bad faith of before Watchmen and Doomsday Clock and etc etc my understanding and I could be wrong is is that more walked into America's best comics with a yeah, I'm creating work for higher comics, but it's okay. I'm just not putting, you know, essentially I want to create this sort of Jack friends. Kirby. Yeah, books for my friends. He he had a big yeah. stress on that. And it was a little bit I think of that Jack Kirby dream, you know, when Kirby came to DC is like ultimately you want to create the books sort of launch them and then be able to give work to other people like create work for other people. But I think Moore did it with kind of this thing of my understanding is, is they were, he was okay with them being owned by Wildstorm. And in some cases, I feel like, oh God, why do I think that some of them are, they're not public domain characters, right? Or he's got public domain. No, none, none, no none of them are public domain. Yeah. Uh, um, I mean, in theory, I guess, uh, League, uh, the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen is public domain. Right. Like in a weird way. Yeah. Because, the characters are exactly the characters right? are public domain. Is that right. not the entire argument? Yeah, yeah. that's it. Um, There's also some public domain characters in Promethea, but it's but they're not the main characters. It's sort of sec- super secondary. Super yeah, I I, I honestly all, always thought that the ABC characters were owned by Moore and uh, the artists. 
And I, I, I mean, yeah. I guess, I mean, I guess they're not, if only because I don't think DC's lawyers would be willing to take the risk. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it is weird. Part of me is like, it's why the fuck did Moore create wild work for higher characters for Wildstorm when Wildstorm was a was an image imprint at that point? You know what I mean? Like, how did he? How did that work? Anyway, so right. So my point being, my preference would be that that again, you have the DC characters interact with the ABC characters, but literally only in that JLA JSA annual crossover kind of way. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm trying to think of superhero universes I'd want to merge together, and I'm kind of failing. Hmm. Um, you know, there's... yeah, I honestly, I can't. Yeah. I really am. I'm like, I can't really think of, of anything I could really, I really want to see sort of merge. You know, it's interesting, and this is probably not correct, but there's a way in which I think that the Valiant characters could fit into the DC universe to very, with varying oh, degrees of success. No. You don't think so, huh? No. No. <laughs> um, like, like, really not. Mm-hmm. Um, I would. Okay, I'd like the Valiant characters and Zenith. Oh, interesting! Me. Interesting. Uh, because I'd be really curious to see what the idea of superhero as celebrity and like and outright celebrity, like they are fucking pop stars, literally, mm-hmm. would do to like the Harbinger. Mm-hmm. I'd. You know that that would be an interesting combination for me. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, otherwise, not not really. Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, I, I can't really think of anything. I'm so I like I'm so tempted to give like a dick and be like, you know, I think Watchmen in DC should cross over. Yes, but yeah, I, I I had that joke too. <laughs> you know, uh, but yeah, uh, Douglas O'Keefe. Says, howdy fellers, I read mostly Marvel, mostly Silver and Bronze Age stuff, but I like to dip my toe into the waters of the present from time to time. I've heard good things about the following four series, and would love to know your thoughts about them as I figure out what to read. The series are Saga by Brian K. Vaughan and Fiona Staples, I, which we literally just talked about. Yes. Um, we both like Saga, I think it's fair to say. I haven't read it in more than a year. Oh, see, that's it. I think we've both sort of fallen off the saga thing and maybe could get back on it, but I I was pretty I, I down with it for the first three years, I, I think. Yeah, someone, I honestly can't remember who, was making the argument that, like, in this past year, it's been better than it's been since the first year. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, in, in the argument of, like, you really should jump back on it. Right. Because I, as I, I was a as I was saying in the podcast, I sort of fell off it because I was like, yeah, it's just kind of going along now. Right. Like it's lost the initial charge. Uh, and they were arguing, no, no, no. It's like, it's, it's got that back. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I, I definitely, in terms of like space opera and, and melodrama, I think Saga is actually, it's a, it's a good series. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, Saga is, That's- yeah, I'm down, I'm down with it. Uh, do you want to, why well, don't you go through, yeah, go through the list. Yeah. Do you, uh, Ms. Marvel, I think, we, again, we both like. Again, it's a book I totally dropped off of. Uh, the first volume, which I think was 16 issues, totally worked for me, was a very good updating of the Spider-Man, uh, concept. 
and and I liked it a lot. I I think Willows is a really good writer, and and the art was really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, Adrian Alpha and uh, shit, who else drew that first series? Um, because there was a a few artists. In that yeah, first series. there was. Like, isn't it? Jake White was on there for a while. Uh, it, it, in general, though, it, it it was always a good looking book, which really helped out. Mm-hmm. Like even even when Willow had a tendency to to kind of dip too heavily into the or be too on the nose with the soap opera, I guess. Mm-hmm. Which my with it, the visually it was always you know entertaining enough to keep going. Mm-hmm. The Silver Surfer by Dan Slott and Mike Allred. Jeff. Have you even re- read The Silver Surfer by Dan Slott and Mike Allred? I read the f- maybe the first two issues. I think I feel I feel like back uh Silver Surfer was was back uh, started back during my uh my boycott days, so I had a few listeners who sent me um their digital codes. So I I want to say I read the first two or three issues and of course now I could read the bulk of it on Marvel Unlimited and I'm not holding back yeah. and it's but i still have it literally just finished as well so it, yeah. it's a finite series now yeah uh i have it. um it's it's fine it's if you like doctor who you like silver surfer because it is essentially a doctor who fanfic yeah you've said uh it's a well done doctor who fanfic it's a very pretty doctor who fanfic but if you don't like the current doctor who series i don't think you'll like silver surfer which is the flip side of it mm-hmm. because it, it i for me owes so much to the current Doctor Who. Mm. And actually, not even the current Doctor Who. It was so much to Russell Davis' Doctor Who. Mm. Um, with with the strengths and weaknesses that that suggests. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's, it's, you know, it's one of those, I, you like Marvel mostly silver and bronze age. That's, you know, what is, what about that do you like? You know, like it, mm-hmm. that could, it could either be totally up, uh, up your alley or too sentimental and too cloying. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. And the vision, Tom King and, and uh, Gabriel Walter. Jeff, go off of the Well, okay. You so, like the vision. Yeah, actually. So my, my thing, uh, my, my answer basically was Douglas that, um, uh, I, I think, I think the visions a, is actually a really good book for a Bronze Age Marvel reader because I think that King, um, does different things with the character that are recognizable for, um, for people who originally, uh, are familiar with the character. And I think because King's, Conceit, which is essentially that the vision is recreated his life as a family man living in a, a suburb outside Washington DC with his artificially created family is a really nice in-story explanation for why so much continuity just gets ignored and shoveled out the window. What's actually really nice is the stuff that does end up being relevant to the vision. The fact that the, the Scarlet, Scarlet, which plays a role in the story in a way that, that I feel as a Bronze Age Marvel reader works and is resonant to that while being different as opposed to kind of having to fall into 
kind of, I don't know, the young Avengers trap of like, now I have to explain every twist and turn of, you know, uh, the vision and Wanda's relationship based on, you know, the caprice and different, differing philosophies of a bunch of different creative teams, you know? So, so I'm really, I dig it. Uh, similarly, I was going to mention that I think for a Marvel Bronze Age reader, uh, the recent run of Moon Knight issues, uh, one through 14 are basically three trades by Jeff Lemire, Greg Smallwood, and a bunch of, uh, different, uh, guest artists would probably be a good Bronze Age fan read because again, it takes a very recognizable character, reconfigures um, the character with a with an eye toward both the Bronze Age roots of the character and subverting those roots in a way that that feels I don't know for lack of a better term respectful. Uh, mm-hmm. And in that sense, I was also going to recommend because I mean I think Saga is great. It is a good fun read. I think definitely check it out. But part of me is like, oh yeah, if you're a Bronze Age Marvel reader, like, and you're just if you've, you know, haven't tried anything super recent, I'm like, you know, I think that, uh, Ed Brubaker and Mart, Matt Fraction's work on Iron Fist, uh, in many, with most of the time with David Aja is like a great read for a Bronze Age reader. Cause I think that I was going to say, um, I think that Ed Brubaker is probably for me one of the best modern writers who, st- I guess sticks to the Marvel Bronze Age plotting schema, for lack of a better term. You know, kind of, uh, you know, opening fight, heavy character stuff in the middle, closing cliffhanger kind of deal. But then, you know, so like if you haven't tried his Captain America run, I think that it's, it's remarkably, it goes down remarkably smooth for a, a Bronze Age reader, um, or something, and then move on to his indie stuff like Sleeper or maybe Fatal or Criminal, you know. I, and I'm not, again, it's not to diss any of the other stuff. I have to admit that Graham's doing me too much credit. I haven't, I, despite reading the first issue of Miss Marvel and being like, oh, this is really good. I gotta come back to this and hearing Graham say, really good things about it throughout the entire first volume. Um, it's still just kind of sitting in that pile of like, Oh, it's, it's a Marvel unlimited book that I could read all of. I just have to make the time to do it. Um, similarly, I think that Al Ewing's work of, in Marvel, if you're a bronze age reader, I find his work is, is really rewarding. I feel like I was going to say, I don't know if you've read his Ultimus, Jeff. Uh, I, but yeah, it, started. Mm-hmm. If you like uh, Silver and Bronze Age, the more cosmic stuff, mm-hmm. Ultimates and especially Ultimates Two mm-hmm. uh, is is great and is is exactly what you're looking for. Um, I like Ewing stuff in general, mm-hmm. but uh, I would say that his Ultimate stuff and his Loki stuff, mm-hmm. which might not appeal quite as much, right. um, are, are definitely up there. And I was actually going to suggest because I think his Loki st- stuff is strong if you if you followed Geraint Gillen's work, you know, because I think it's very yeah. deliberately of a piece. Oh, it's I, it's, it's, it's very much like a part two, exactly. Yeah. But I think that uh, I think Ewing's work with Greg Land on Mighty Avengers it is very satisfying, sort of Bronze Age in the street comics with a cosmic edge. You know, in some places, but it's basically ground level heroes. 
What's yeah, that? it should say, said like for Ultimates, mm-hmm. if you've read his Mighty Avengers, that's a good place to start. Yeah, because Ultimates picks up on a lot of those threads. Exactly, exactly. So, so that's the stuff that I would recommend as like, oh, you're a Bronze Age reader. This is this would be your thing. But like, honestly, you know, um, give it give it all a shot. I do. I think I think Saga's got a super strong hook, and I think that that it's kind of that like you can recommend it to just about anyone. I think. And I think someone is going to at least have a passing infatuation with it. Um, you know, uh, but that's, that's also my handful of other stuff of like, Oh, Hey, try this other stuff. And you're, and feel free to write me back and be like, you asshole. That's not what I was asking. So, you know, <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's a difficult thing to recommend because, you know, you and I like Marvel, Silver Age and Bronze Age, but we like different things about it. Yeah. You yeah. know, like you love, the more cosmic stuff, the the, uh, the Starlin stuff, and that's that leaves me cold, mm-hmm. you know. And and so it's it's what do you recommend, you know? Because on one hand, that's lot Spider Man is if you if you, what you like is like the Spider Man stuff from the Bronze Age, dance lot Spider Man's probably gonna scratch your edge. What? I mean, yeah, I think hmm. no, I I, gen, I genuinely think the dance lot Spider Man for a lot of people. Like is the is if like feels like quote unquote Spider Man in a way that you know ninety Spider Man didn't. It's closer. We'll, we'll get to this when we start talking about like what Marvel characters and what you know what what Marvel teams should write what DC uh, books. Well, I I I I'm also when we get to the Tom King Batman question, which I am super looking forward to. <laughs> Meanwhile, before then, David Brown asks. In 1986, several of my favorite series, such as All-Star Squadron and Infinity Incorporated, were ruined by the destruction of Earth 2 and the other Infinite Earths as they all merged into one in Crisis on Infinite Earths. The reason usually given for this was that DC continuity was too confusing and the Infinite Earths were too difficult for new readers to understand. My question is what exactly was so complicated and confusing about the old Infinite Earths that required this to be done, especially when it was, especially when it is considered that most character histories, Hawkman, Legion of Superheroes, etc., only seems to become more complicated afterwards, and much as I enjoy many books about how try, uh, I'll try that again, and much as I enjoy many books, how about trying to explain current DC continuity to a new reader? <laughs> I could understand and really like the alternate Earths, JSA, JLA crossovers, etc., and was only a boy pretty much getting random issues as distribution to the UK was erratic before specialist comic shops were a thing. So was it really so confusing? David, you and me both... And me, I've got to, me three, yeah. Mm-hmm. I've got to say, like, I, the idea that, cause here's the thing, in All-Star Squadron or Infinity Incorporated, or in Justice League when they had the JLA JSA crossovers, they'd always explain Earth 2. Mm-hmm. They'd always be like, it's a different Earth, you guys, things are different. And that's all you need to know. Right. Yeah. I, I, I honestly think Crisis on Infinite Earths was one of these cases of like solving a problem that didn't need to be solved. Well, uh, I think that Crisis on Infinite Earths was solving like the wrong, like the wrong solution to a problem. And in fact, I, my theory is, is it was the wrong solution. It was, it was kind of the wrong problem and the wrong solution to that problem. <laughs> I think. So, okay, first of all, what do you think was the right problem? I think the right, the, 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 
the right problem, the right que- the question that they were asking was why aren't DC books selling the way that Marvel books are? Like, cause, cause, cause Crisis on Infinite Earths happens in the early 80s and some of the DC is sort of slowly turning stuff around, but it's, has been having its lunch eaten by Marvel for so long. Again, I don't think that Jim Shooter is always, I think, a really shaky source to quote as as um, as a historical uh, data point. But I do believe his stories, for the most part, that Marvel at one point was thinking about buying DC. And when they looked at the sales totals, they were like, God, some of the sales on these are awful. And so that's my thing is I think that people who moved between the two companies, because there was a lot of bounce back, people who worked in editorial positions at both were kind of like, what's the fucking deal? Why is it that Marvel characters are selling, you know, three to four times as much as DC characters? And I think the answer that they came up with is, is that, oh, it's too confusing. Like they looked at it and they're like, what's going on with Marvel and what's going on with DC? And you look at what was happening with DC and they had their mega crossover, you know, again, Earth 1 or 2 or 3 battles, crossovers, multiple Supermans, Huntresses, Batmans who were dying, who were the different Earth of, you know, all this sort of stuff. And I think they kind of went to this conclusion of like, because this is what's going on in our comics and our comics aren't selling if we get rid of this, our comics will sell. If our comics look like a unified thing, where again, kind of the, the weird quotes that Axel Alonso stumbles around making that again, you know, that our stories matter, you know, that the idea is that it doesn't really matter what happens to the character on Earth 1 if there's an exactly the same character on Earth 2 or Earth 10 or, you know, and I think, I think that, I think that idea is actually wrong. You know, that I think that, you know, for those of us like David and you and me, I I think that I think that comics, superhero comics, the appeal when you come to them as a kid is that they are breathtaking in how much they do not make sense. Right. Like that's one of the wonderful things. I know that Grant Morrison would agree with us because I feel like he goes to great lengths to craft comic book issues that deliberately um, leave out the meaning, you know, like seven soldiers. Number one, I think is a genius issue and really has that feeling of like, Oh, I, you know, like you pick that up and you're like, what the fuck am I? I don't, I barely understand any of this. And I read the previous 28 issues, you know, because he really wants you to read that. Like the first comic book you ever read. And he sort of talks about how he picked one of his first comics was a JLA JSA. It was like the second part of a, of a two part crossover. And he was completely lost. And as a kid, you kind of love it. Like it's this overwhelming experience, but, and I think this is important. Like, there's that idea, that belief that you can master it. You know what I mean? Like, I, I honestly, I've come to, gone to this well several times, so I apologize to returning to it. But I honestly believe that superhero comics, a fan, there's a certain hardcore fandom that gets into it that it, it basically is the, the pop version of a, a mystical or religious impulse. It's this idea of like, the tapestry of the world makes no, here's all this occult knowledge, 
but if I master it, I'll, I'll understand everything and more I can sort of understand the world, right? So, mm-hmm. so I think that has tremendous appeal. And so I think they were, like I said, it was the wrong solution to the problem. I think, and this is my current hobby horse, is the problem is, is that, you know, Mar- the Marvel characters in the 70s and 80s were only 10 or 20 years old. And a lot of the DC characters were 40. 40 or, yeah. yeah. 30 or 40, yeah. And, and I just, I don't, I don't think characters, I think characters fall apart after that long. I don't think you can have a superhero universe run for 40 years without it having to, it just doesn't, it just doesn't work. And I just kind of feel like it doesn't appeal. You know what I mean? Like if you look back at things, there's a period of time where it's like, it's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was so of, it's like a, is an in joke about Frank Miller comics that was huge because all of that totally did catch kids attention in Zeitgeist in a way that I'm kind of like, and again, part of me feels like there's a few characters that can throw off the curve that are truly sort of immortal and perennial. And I, history will probably prove me wrong, but God help me. I really do think that Batman is one of those characters, but I think for the majority of characters, particularly in the comic books, I think, I think they're not. I think at a certain point they become so popular in other media that people associate them with the other media and they're just kind of not a thing so much in comics. You can have new ideas in comics, new superheroes in comics of the time that will grab people's idea, grab people's eyes and, and excite them. And that excitement will run for 10 years or 20 years, or maybe if you're really super talented, 30 or, you know, 30 or 40 years, and then it, then it just falls apart again. So that's my theory is, is that DC just couldn't compete with Marvel because the Marvel stuff was of the times in a way that the DC stuff kind of wasn't. And I think, well, yeah. So here's, here's my question based on that then. Immediately following Crisis on Earths, you had Burn on Superman, you had uh, Frank Miller doing Batman Year One, Perez on Wonder Woman, and the books did become successful again. Mm-hmm. Is that because of the relaunch? Is that because of the talent? Or is that just because of they had the buzz about them? Uh, so why did they have the buzz? Well, I, I, they had the three, I think they had the three of those. I think that, you know, it's no surprise that those, in a lot of cases, those books started off being renumbered after being big, you know, multi-numbered issues. So there was this, the, the speculators came in, the director market was more in place at that point. So those characters had, there was a lot more speculation. Those characters had a lot more heat, um, in, in that sense, in the terms of sales. But, you know, that's all happening. They were able to finally, in theory, grow and take up more attention from people in the marketplace that maybe weren't paying attention to them. But that's, that still happens as comic book sales overall were declining. You know what I mean? Like, 
So they they picked up where, their sales where, to get. Where are they declining in the in the eighties? Well, I like I, I I that's a like legitimate ask. I'm not. It's not a no go, no no, uh, no, 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 no 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 no. I, I agree because it is I, me talking honestly, out. Honestly, I honestly don't know. My I've always bought into the theory put forward in a Gary Groth editorial that comic books, the heyday of the comics were in the 40s or, you know, maybe the 50s. And they've continued to shrink ever since. Now, that shrinking was at an incredibly high rate. You know, it was like millions of comics being sold in the 50s down to hundreds of thousands of comics being sold in the 60s, 70s and 80s. But those numbers dropping a little bit and then and then you know so my thing is is like yeah i think that you know if the superman books were finally selling like several hundred thousand copies you know like if they were selling at the level of burns fantastic four and they're selling two hundred and twenty five thousand copies that's great and impressive but i mean but the numbers go on to shrink as the prices go up and as the newsstands stop carrying comics, you know? So uh, that, that could be, I could totally be wrong in that, but that's my belief is, is that comics continue to contract, but you can't see it because the number of speculators continues to grow until you hit to the nineties. And then really what the implosion is is just comic books really selling at that point to what's left of the market you know mm. so so it turns out you know my my belief is is that when comics are selling in the millions that's based on speculators and people from sports card company you know sports card refugees coming in and and investing in a collectible market and then realizing it's bunk and then leaving but i don't know that reminds me of something that i'm not going to tell you on the podcast but i'll definitely tell you after we've recorded because it's something that is not public but there's gossip jeff dum 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 dun 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 everyone (laughs) fucking gossip adam nave Hey, Adam Nave. You're each exposed to Element X and receive super abilities. However, according to the old fun comic rule, there are powers that reflect who you are. Johnny's a hothead, becomes a human torch, etc. What powers do you each have now? Grab- I honestly, I, I don't know if, first of all, if he's asking what, like, do I say what powers I have? Do I say what powers you have? See, this is it. I sort of assumed that we were to talk about what powers we we each had, but then I went the extra mile and tried to figure out what powers you would have as well. Oh God, um, what powers would I have? I would like. I feel like I would become like the invisible. Like I'd become invisible a lot. I think. <laughs> That's really I funny. I think, yeah, I think I would. See, this this uh, is where our self esteem problems are, are, are. What power? What powers would you have? Are you asking me, or are you trying to figure out my? No, no, I, I, I'm trying to work it out. I'm asking okay. myself. Yeah. Um. <laughs> yes, Grant. I honestly no. Yeah. I really don't know. Like, part of me is part of me wants to be like, oh, you'd have you'd have some sort of like worst case scenario power. <laughs> I, what, what did you come up with? Okay, 
So not only did I come up with, and this is, this is the advantage in some so, uh, cases of doing the homework. What did you come up with homework. for yourself? Yes. For me first, I split it, and both of us, into two character, into whether a supporting character or a main character. So. Of course. <laughs> of course I did. Because I feel like supporting, supporting superheroes can have weirder powers that are less viable, like, sure. right? So, and then there's the main character where it's like if you're carrying the book, you gotta have something that's a little more like a thing. So, my, for me, my supporting char- superhero character is, uh, the retcon because I'm only able to develop a theory about what's happened to me several years after the fact. So the retcon is a superhero who has the power of developing a theory about something and more or less forces the rest of reality that then falls in line with it. So the retcon always thinks that he's right, whether he's right or not, because in the superhero universe, he actually changes the universe. Exactly. Yes. So, and then as a... Whether whether or not he's right, he's always right, which honestly is an amazing power to have. Yeah, if you think about it. But you'll never know that you have it. In a way, it's kind of a rip-off of that one uh, John Byrne character. Wait, so he doesn't even know he's got it. Yeah, exactly. So it's not like he he comes up with a theory and then that's the case. Yeah. It's that all of a sudden that just happens to be true. That's right. He would be a character who, who everyone thinks, and including himself thinks, is basically Brainiac 5, right? Like everything that he, th- if he puts his mind to it, he comes up with a theory that's always right. But in fact, what it is, is he actually just has the power to change reality so that he'll, he never knows that he's actually wrong. So, <laughs> that's me in a nutshell. And then as a main character, uh, I, I thought of, I thought, uh, that I would be a character that the, the working title was The Chat, which is the more that I talk to someone, it's basically rogue. The more I talk to someone, the more I can pick up their powers. And it's basically just, you know, <laughs> my superhero version of my own impressionability, uh, and, and... Oh my god, that, that's, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Also, you'd be the chat, but you ha- therefore have to have like a French accent yes. and a cat theme. Exactly. Oh my God, you picked that up. You were so good. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and then for you, um, I was thinking that as a supporting superhero, your character would be called the optics, but it's just, it's basically, it's like the retcon, except it's in real time instead of after the fact. So you see things and they're more or less as you see them is the way that they are, but not because necessarily of your accuracy, although that we let's be honest, that's part of it. But it's because of your ability as a reporter covering the sequence that you're more or less changing the reality to fit, you know, your the, the, the power that you have as a writer allows you to actually alter the reality of what you cover to make it more like the way you want it to be. So, okay. And then and then as a main superhero, your I you would be the quick as basically the fastest man alive. <laughs> Cuz you really do. You you read more and write more than any person I know. So, it's... I I have to I have to tell you, Jeff, as you know, I've been writing about before Watchmen for the main site. Yes. Uh that's been testing the quick's fucking powers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yes. Man, yeah. Yeah, I shouldn't have taken that on. I definitely shouldn't have been like, oh, I'll do it twice a week. That'll be fine. Yeah, yeah, you're I'll amazing. Like 2,000 words every week. That's I've got time to do that. No, I fucking don't. <laughs> Kevin Rowe says... Regarding Jeff's assertion that Tom King doesn't love Batman, and forgive me my, if my paraphrasing of Jeff's argument inadvertently misstates said argument, in your collective opinion, is it necessary for a writer to possess a great fondness for the character he's writing about, as long as he displays an understanding of how that character works, even if it's different from yours? His stories adequately lay out that understanding, and those stories provide some level of entertainment and hopefully a satisfying character arc. Shouldn't those, be thing, shouldn't those things be what matter? Yes, absolutely. Until they don't. And what do you think? Uh, I, I, I'm just gonna go with yes. <laughs> and I think it is. Well, I think that the thing with Batman is, you have such, uh, not even an identification with. Oh no. But such, uh, uh, a connection to the character. Mm-hmm. That you take it personally in a way that you wouldn't if it was a different character. The you have canon for the character, uh, and that you have idea of like this is how the character is. That it it's destroy like if if Tom King was giving that exact, um, you know that exact treatment to, oh fuck, I can't even think of it. Like like one of the Legion of Superheroes mm-hmm. who you know you. But I think it would be fair to say you have no particular affection for. Mm-hmm. I think you'd find it much easier to be like, well, it's out of character, but it's an interesting comic. As opposed to, I think you have a, but it's not Batman. Like, he, you know, he's he's getting, he doesn't like Batman. It's it remains fascinating for me that you think that he doesn't like Batman. That it's not just that he's not getting Batman right, or he has a different take on Batman, mm-hmm. but that you think doesn't like Batman. Yes. That that's what really it's that thing in particular that for me makes me think, oh Jeff has a such an emotional connection to Batman. <laughs> that like you reach some personal level that he just wouldn't for other characters. Yeah, uh, that could be it. That could be it. I just think that there's uh I feel like there's something else there. I, honestly, I think there's something, I, I see it, and honestly, it, it is one of those things where I'm not the right person to make the case for that. But, uh, yeah, I just, yeah, no, I, it's, it's, <laughs> it, it, so here's I, I the love, thing. I love you're like, no, I see what you're saying, but you're wrong. Yeah. Batman and I have an understanding. <laughs> Me and Batman, Mrs. Batman, Mrs. Batman, Mrs. Batman, Mr. Wayne, Mr. Wayne, we got a thing going on. Anyway, uh, I, no, I, uh, this might be the first episode ever of you actually singing. <laughs> I know that'll teach you bastards to listen and not remember my opinions about Finder. Uh, yeah, no, it's, um, I, I, I yeah, I'm not. Like you're, you're kind of trapped here, Jeff, because I think any way of you going like, no, it's not that I love Batman too much, will make it sound like you sound like you love Batman too much. Yeah, Do you know what I mean. Like, I, I feel like I've, I've almost been unfair in presenting that theory because there's no way for you to argue against it without it sounding like fodder for the theory. 
I, I guess what I'm just, I guess what I'm saying is, and it's, to my thing, it's not that Tom King doesn't love Batman. That's fine. It is fine. Cause I think there are characters, I think, I think, I think Tom King doesn't like Batman. He does not, he actively does not <laughs> like Batman. And I, and, and I don't know why that that is important. It could, cause well, I, 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 cause I feel okay. like, cause I feel like there are, uh, ways in which, um, you know, there, there's, there's a point and it could be Alan Moore just blowing smoke up our asses in his own ass. But he sort of talks about that idea of like, you know, kind of like I, you have to identify with all the characters that you're writing. Like, you know, even, even the baddies. And I just kind of feel that there, because there is that level of like, I'm not going to identify with this character. He. Wait, you don't think Tom King identifies with Batman? I think that Tom King identifies with Batman in a way that he has rejected Batman. You know what I mean? Like this. This is where this is where all this argument falls apart for me. Uh huh. Because you're coming from such a particular direction Mm -hmm. that for me it just feeds into my Jeff has a very particular view on Batman. Yeah, but I don't think that I necessarily do because I because I have this thing of like. I, well, it, but I don't get, I don't understand how you're like, but he just like, Tom King doesn't like Batman, and you can tell by reading the comic, because I read the comic and I think Tom King does, like, A, likes Batman a great deal, and B, identifies very strongly with Batman. Mm-hmm. See, I, I feel that the extent to which Tom King might identify with Batman is exactly the parts in himself that he either doesn't like or does not think is interesting or necessary or 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 good you know what i mean i think i think that what what king is ultimately going to do on batman is going to end up being kind of a um, thematic restatement of what morrison did at the end of his batman run but in Morrison's case, it's genuinely heartbreaking because I think that Morrison does like Batman, you know? And so therefore, and I could be wrong because I don't know where that's going to be. It's so funny because for me, it's like all of this is so subjective and also I have no context. Like, I don't feel like you ever provide an explanation for your context. Like, I feel like it's, I feel like it's so Like, I feel the idea of like, well, you can tell that Grant Morrison likes Batman the same way you can tell Tom King doesn't. Right. And they're saying the same thing, but they're saying it differently because one of them likes Batman and one of them doesn't. Well, no, but that's not my, well, because honestly, Graham, you, you reject a lot of my central theses. Like, it's kind of like, like like your thing is, your, your theory, okay, your big thing is, is you're like, oh, I am, I am Bane is a misstep from King is the way you put it. And I think that I am Bane is a, a pretty deliberate statement of what he thinks people want of Batman. And there's a certain degree of contempt to it. You know, 
of of his belief. Now your thing again is very much like, oh no no, that's it's just it's just kind of a it's kind of a misstatement, and, and it's true. We don't I don't necessarily know. King could have been like undergoing some like major health crisis with like one of his kids and his dogs well, dying and he's got some other writer's deadline but i am bane doesn't read it reads really poorly and weirdly for carrots for someone who's supposedly been writing batman for several issues and again like i said there's this weird like even something like the war of jokes and riddles i just have this weird feeling of like when Batman's not unseen, the book reads better. It's it moves oh, but, but better. Wait, but wait. You know, yeah. So, so if I am Bane is for you King's central thesis of Batman, right? Then how? I'm and does right that as in like to, yeah. Mm-hmm. Then how does that relate to the version of Batman that appears in the I Am Suicide arc or? What's going on now with Batman? Uh, both with the, um, hang on, I, I think Skype just went weird because then like you're shouting, but I heard like an instant of it. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, no, it maybe we fell out of sync. Can you hear me okay? I've, I've been very, yeah, I, I can hear you now. Yeah. Okay. Did, did you shout? <laughs> Uh, at, at one point, uh, when I said right, I, I did have that moment of like, I mean, right is in like, Going along with that, not necessarily. I would say that it's it's King's central thesis, but yeah. But okay, so what is in? The, I think that I am Bane is a misstep. It, insofar as like it's just a shitty arc, like it's it's kind of clumsy and pointless, and and doesn't stand up literally in terms of quality of writing to everything else in the in the run, right? Uh, Whereas you think it is, it is a, a, a key part of what he's trying to do with the book. Um, so what is, how does everything else in the book tie in with I am Bane for you then? Uh, I would say that for me, I don't think, I don't think, I think, I think I am Gotham to me was, was not strong. Like it kind of, kind of wobbled. But, but, you know, kind of a, mm-hmm. okay, I'll give it like, I don't know, two stars out of four. I am suicide. I guess I'll basically give like three stars out of four. I am Bane. I'm giving like one star out of four. Then like the brave and the bold. I guess I'm given like three or four stars out of four. And then the war of jokes and riddles. I'm given like three out of four. And then these next two issues of the bat and the cat and Talia al Ghul, I'm given about two stars out of four again, maybe down to one star. Like I don't, I'm not really crazy about the art. I, I think that the, the patter's pretty forced. I think, I just what? think that there, ah. so this is it for me. The more that Batman is on screen in his comic, the more forced King's work comes off as. And I think that King is trying to do he's he's got a whole bunch of stuff about trauma and healing that he wants to have and or do and or say but but there is an element in it that I feel already kind of has a 
resigned tone. Because I think to me, part of his whole quote-unquote thesis about Batman, apart from all the other stuff, is is that essentially Batman's whole deal for most of the arcs that we've seen is his ability to more or less take punishment and pain more than anyone else and essentially win as a result, you know? And I think that that is an idea that King does not, based on some of the other stuff by him that I've read, I think that King as a grown-up human being does not find that that is a smart or tenable idea and is going to more or less try and address that. Look, I was talking about Ed Brubaker as being like one of my like favorite Silver Age characters. I don't think that, I don't think that Brubaker really got, did a particularly good Batman run either. And I, I don't know because I've never asked him. I don't think he particularly likes Batman because the idea is if you look at the character as a clinical piece of something, you kind of, it's, it's very easy to look at it as something that is malignant. You know, which is why someone as hippy dippy as Grant Morrison looks, looked at Batman and in the course of the run was kind of like, Oh, Batman's great. He's the guy who always wins to kind of like Batman is got this toxic fucked up part to him. I'm now going to exercise it via, um, magical spell in a comic book. Wait, it's kind of failed. Why did it fail? Oh, right. Batman's a fictional character who can never change and therefore you're he's always going to ha- he there's it's there's always the hole in things you know what I mean for me in that sense I kind of feel like at that point there's only so far that you can really maybe go beyond I think or do anything with that character after that point and maybe that's part of it. As much as I enjoy a lot of the shit with Scott Snyder, he's kind of just bumping up against the ceiling of the stuff that Morrison already has done. Wait, yes. can, I, can I ask you a, a question then? Yeah. What does it mean like Batman for you? That's a really good question. Uh I'm not sure that I know. I think... Okay, what writers like Batman? Because you've just said, uh, right. not only does King not like Batman, but Ed Brubaker doesn't like Batman either. So who likes Batman for you? <laughs> what writers like Batman? Uh, what characters like Batman? Uh, Grant Morrison likes Batman. Uh, Doug Mensch likes Batman. Archie Goodwin likes Batman. Um, I feel like Len Wein likes Batman. Bob Haney, of course, so what, really what likes Batman. <sighs> I'm not... They like Batman. <laughs> <laughs> the, no, and like, do you understand why I continually yes. come back to like I feel like you have such a personal relationship with this character yeah. that like it it def- it literally defies description. Yeah, uh, because I ask you, <laughs> what does it mean to like Batman? You're like I can't tell you. <laughs> well, because okay, I because I just gah, gah, gah. what does it mean to like Batman? Well, I think, I think on the one hand, you can like the mythos, which I think a lot of, uh, writers for Batman 
do, and it's one of the things I, that I, I really like. Every writer What's likes that? The mythos. Yeah, I think all, every writer likes the mythos. Exactly, and that's why I think, in some ways, Batman is kind of, a, in that sense, sort of an is a book that kind of keeps can sort of maintain its its popular head of steam. Is it's got it's got a good mythos, right? But I think that. Um, Archie Goodwin and, uh, Denny O'Neill. And there's basically, there's the adventurer concept of Batman, right? Like kind of like Batman is sort of the Batman is the best. There's a lot of people like the bat, the best <laughs> character of Batman. No, no, no. And I don't mean like, oh, he's the best, but I mean, he like, he's the best at everything it, that he does. Yep, I just find it funny that, uh, I feel that you're, you're, and I don't know if this is intentional or not, but I feel that you're heading towards a, I like writers who like Batman because they think that Batman's cool. And writers who think that Batman is on some level fucked up don't like Batman. No, because I do, I like, actually it, do like it, those. It, it feels, I feels, like the fucked like up version. I do, I do like the I, fucked up version. I think, I think that, like one of the things that I really appreciate about King's Batman is that it literally, it makes text that Batman is, astoundingly fucked up mm-hmm. but also is aware that he's fucked up and wants to try and get better for want of a better way of putting it mm-hmm. and that the ways in which he's doing it are probably not going to be successful but that he at least has uh, a self-awareness of his own pathologies you know and I think that for you that shows that he doesn't like Batman well, uh, no. I mean, sure. I, I think, I, I think, think that. I think the King approaches Batman as a tragic character. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, you could, I, you're probably right. I certainly think that he thinks so, but I kind of don't think that that is, cause, cause there's two type, there's, there's sort of modern tragedy and then there's classical tragedy and then there's sort of that weird kind of, in between thing. You know what I mean? Like the, I, I think that Batman is a tragic hero. And I think that in a classical sense, that means that his, his heroism and its tragedy are intertwined. And what you're saying is, is that he's more of a modern tragic hero in that he is a hero because he is trying to transcend his tragedy. And I, maybe that's what I'm saying is, is part of the mistake. You know? The, why is it a mistake? Well, I don't think it's necessarily, to me, it's kind of a mistake because if you have a character that doesn't want to be the character, to me, it's kind of the, the part of the writer being like, okay, so this character is kind of fucked up. You know, kind of like, I don't really like this character. This character doesn't like this character. This character is clearly trying to change being its character. Whereas there's other people for whom you either take kind of the, you know, again, the Archie Goodwin, Denny O'Neill, like this character transcends his tragedy by the tragedy driving him to be the best. Or you can even flip it into the noir version of this character is interesting because the tragedy has scarred him and made him flawed and fucked up, but it's who he is. Like it's key to make it. There is no escaping his nature. He's, he's chained to it. Um, but isn't that, isn't that what King's saying? Uh, 
Yeah, I... Is King's story not essentially that he is changed to his nature and that even though he is aware that he is fucked up, he cannot escape his nature? Well, we, And that his we... attempts to... I, I, you know, the story isn't over yet, but I think it's fair to say that King is ultimately going to leave Batman the way he found him. Because that's right. what comic writers do these right. days. Exactly. So is King not saying exactly what you're talking about? Uh, I guess we'll have to see. Because I think, except, I think he's going to come at it from like a different path, a different way. I, I think he, cause of course, like you said, it has to end up there because that's the ending point. But how he's going to end up there, I don't necessarily know. Based on the first set of books, I do not trust him to be able to carry it off for whatever reason that it happens to be. My theory is, is that because he doesn't like Batman, <laughs> his reason Which, yeah. for, <laughs> for why that, that ends up being a thing is going to be more of, um, it's, it's, probably just not going to be satisfying but who knows i could be For incredibly you, wrong I, I feel like you're a, yeah okay well but i mean that's I, all I, that I, I can talk through i mean you know i know i'm trying know, to i'm trying to talk through it like I feel, I feel like you should start reading the book because i think you've already made up your mind that you're not going to like it and that just seems like an exercise in frustration i want to be proven wrong i really do and every once in a while something so, comes so, along it's great but you know i i don't think you do want to be proven wrong. That's the thing. I think you want to be proven right. Well, maybe I do, and maybe the ending will prove me right, and then I win at the cost of several hundred dollars. So, I mean, uh, the thing that's hard, Graham, is I feel like I can't win the argument with you, which is frustrating, because I don't think that you're ever going to give me the ground to to win on it. Well, I, I just don't. Yeah, I just don't even understand the argument, if that makes sense. Right. Well, I tried to lay it out. You know, Listeners, it's like, weigh yeah, in. Was yeah. was I completely incoherent about that, or did did I? Is there a sense that I I'm making? No, here's the thing. I don't even think you're incoherent. I just think you're starting from a particularly subjective viewpoint. Yeah, but I, that it becomes a recursive argument. Uh, yeah, but I mean, don't you think that there's? I mean, don't we both kind of agree that like? Art, art tends to, we tend to have a reaction to it that are, that there's responses to art are inherently subjective anyway. Sure. Yes. But I guess what I'm saying is if you start from this is my subjective viewpoint and I'm going to argue my subjective viewpoint is right, but my argument is going to be that my subjective viewpoint is right. Then for someone who does not share that subjective viewpoint, it's not going to be uh, a coherent argument. Well, sure, but that's because, because but that's always on... been the nature of criticism. I mean, because my thing is, is ultimately the reasons for why I I read something I don't like it. I try and untangle why I don't like it, and there are the reasons that I come up with. But I sort of feel like your thing is kind of, and I w it would be one thing if we were if we were kind of like. I don't know, Graham. I just, part of me, whereas I feel like you're sort of like, no, it's, it's like, yeah, I, my subjective opinion about Tom King is right because your subjective opinion about Tom King is 
too subjective, whereas my well, subjective opinion about what Tom I, King what I, is just sub- objective enough in its subjectivity <laughs> to be correct. You know, and I'm oh, sort of like I, the weirdest huh? thing is I think what I think what's actually happening is both of us think that he's doing the same thing in the comic, but it works for one of us and it doesn't work for the other. Right, which I think is is probably fine. And and your thing is is like yes, this works for me, and I. I get it, and what it, the the difference could just very much be that you're not enough of a of a quote unquote fan of Batman to really care about whether or not you know the thing that King is that, that, reaching. That's when it crosses over. But that's when it crosses over to being like that's when it becomes a different thing for me. Mm-hmm. That if you then go. Well, I don't like it because I'm more of a fan of a character than you. But I'm not, I'm not saying that. I just feel like, unfortunately, the weird thing is, is that I think that I'm more of a fan of Batman than you are. I think you are, but it's, I don't know, like that, I think that's the point where it breaks down for me. Where I can't just like let it go, that it's like, <laughs> it worked for me. You know I mean? It's when you're like, well, of course it's worked for me, I'm more of a fan of the character. Mm-hmm. It just feels like a really weird, weird thing to me like it feels like it's something that i can't leave alone mm-hmm. which Do you I, know what I mean like right if you literally were just like it doesn't work for me i'd be like okay it doesn't work for you and i'd be able to leave it but as soon as it go it crosses over into no i get it because, I'm because fan of the what character. i'm saying That's is, is that, I'm like, yeah. well <laughs> well but no and i get that because your thing is just kind of like oh you over identify with the character too much and i and and i'm saying it's not even no. over well it, not, not it, identifying but it's kind of what you a, were saying uh, earlier you basically the thing is you is, have such a you have such a relationship with this character Right. Of such relationship which, which is what you keep saying which is funny because I'm like the, the what you're trying to say and I get it because it makes sense is when I'm saying I'm more of a fan of Batman you're saying you have more of a relationship with the character and what I'm saying is no I'm a better fan of the character than you are and you're like no that's not <laughs> true same yeah. thing, which is hilarious yeah 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 so so we're even like splitting it's, it's, hairs at that level of what it means yeah, for me to be a better fan or a bigger fan because we're both saying the same thing yeah yeah but yeah. it's the way we identify it that's fascinating to me yeah well yes and no I mean, I definitely would have been very loath to say that your subjective opinion was wrong, but you had no trouble breaking that out with me. So, I mean, that's fine. (laughs) Other than that, we're pretty much exactly the same. So, (laughs) do you want to do? uh, Do you want to talk about Kevin's other thing or not? Because it's not really a question. Oh yeah, it is. It's a good point. Yeah, I think we should. I think we should. It's not really like. Okay, uh, is there a Patreon le- reward level I can upgrade to that would ensure that Jeff never ever uses the phrase DOSH ever again using his regular Patreon thank yous? I know it's a commonly accepted word, but for some reason scrapes gets my nerves in much the same way the King's sake of Bama keeps scraping. <laughs> Here's the funny thing, Jeff. Yes. Every time you say DOSH, it pings me as well. Yeah. Not in a, like it scrapes gets my nerves, but because every single time I'm like, I always thought that was just a British term. Yeah, well, as far as I know, it kind of is, yeah, so and that could be the problem. Weird, if that makes sense. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, and I, I, I know, I, which I kind of get. I'll, I'll be honest, um, uh, listeners, by all means, send me, you know, either tweet us at Wait What Podcast, leave it on the Patreon, or email us. Give me a better term than cash 
or money because I feel really it's Fun. kind of weird. I when I say <laughs> that I appreciate the fact that the Patreon people give Ooh, us uh. money, I always kind of shrink up at it. And by turning by saying something like Dosh is like this double distancing for me because it is like you said, it's a commonly accepted term. It's not an American term. It's me being I'm distancing myself from it. What's that? It comes from self-consciousness? Yeah, it definitely comes from self-consciousness. And maybe that, maybe that's where, where it pings people. Cause it's really hard for me. It feels really creepy to kind of be like, Hey, the Patreon people, they matter more because they give us money. Cause I think that's a horrible message to send out and to say. And I don't really like it in the, uh, in our current hyper capitalist society on the other hand there's part of me that is incredibly touched that that people that people those are people, giving us money yeah <laughs> that, that that what we do they think matters enough to to give money that's in, that's incredibly touching and moving to me but consequently because i can never quite figure out how to say that like i want to acknowledge it but i feel self-conscious about it because it sounds greedy and weird, I end up doing the distancing thing of like, because they throw us a spot dosh, and people are like, fuck, for God's sake, stop saying that, you know? To, to be fair, one person. I... You say that like, you know, half of our listeners are like, fucking dosh! <laughs> <laughs> it's true. But, but, but it is. But it could be. And it kind of seems like it's, like it bugs you too, so, you know. But no, it doesn't bug me. It's it, just something I always notice because I'm always like, that's a British word. Like, it's, <laughs> it's, um, every single time an American says wanker, it does the same thing. Right. And it's not that it bugs me. I'm just like, huh. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to think, cause there was definitely a phrase, point in the 90s where people at the comic book store, thanks to the, I think the Warren Ellis forum, we're using and and all the British writers writing Vertigo. We're using more and more British terms, like they could, and it and it always kind of bugged me. You know what I mean? Like, so I kind of get it. But I mean, it's that kind of thing of like, what, like when when some dude who's you know from like Reseda is like, excuse me, I got to knock off to the loo or whatever. You're just like. You know, there might be a little bit of that. <laughs> yeah, but it's but it's not like it's not even like blah, it's just like the the moment of like the cognitive dissonance. Okay. You know, it's like when I hear British people say "dude." All right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they're like, "What?" <laughs> it's weird how there's things. Yeah, it, it's the same thing. I'm always like, "Yeah, no, that like that's weird." Mm-hmm. Like it's it just it's like what? <laughs> what? It's it's yeah it's. Yeah. Brian Ruckley, and this will have to be the last one because we didn't even get through 14 fucking questions into our show. Dum, dum, dum. Brian Ruckley. Yay! Lots of questions. Pick and choose from or ignore entirely if you so choose. It clustered under a single theme. Shall we try and do these one quickly? I think so. I say that. This is the one that's going to be impossible to do quickly. An idea that gets floated every so often without anyone ever taking it terribly seriously, I think, but I'm curious. With sales going the way they are, can you imagine a world in which Disney or Time Warner finally license out their Marvel DC IP to other comics publishers, IDW, Boom, Dark Horse, whoever, so that they didn't have to bother with the thankless and not at all lucrative task of publishing comics themselves? No. Shall we go with there or do you want me to finish the email? Uh, bah, 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 bah. uh yeah, no, I think you should finish it up because to me it's all interrelated okay. to, to 
can't imagine it's on the horizon yet, but there must be a sales level below, which it makes more sense, isn't there? Or is the direct market toast by then anyway, so who cares? Or perhaps it would make even more sense without the direct market and single issues to worry about if comics move towards a digital, then graphic novel formats, or graphic novels only. Maybe it makes even more sense to subcontract the actual publishing business. Would it make any difference to you at all if the only Batman comics were coming from IDW, the only Avengers from Broom? Would it change how you felt about them at all? Uh... Do you, do you want to take a crack at this? I feel like it's sure. all one big ball, so I've got... Uh, in reverse order, it wouldn't make any difference to me who publishes the, the comics. Hmm. Uh, on some level, I'd be like, oh, it's sad that Marvel and DC aren't around anymore, but not really. Like, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it, if it's a, you know, if it's a Batman comic, it's a Batman comic. Mm-hmm. Um I can see a time when specifically Disney shuts down Marvel's publishing. I honestly can't see a time where Time Warner shuts down DC. And that's more to do with the current publishing realities for both companies, mm-hmm. which has seen Marvel already uh, offload publishing uh, priorities to other publishers. Mm-hmm. So you have Archie publishing digests for Marvel. You have IDW publishing uh, archive collections for Marvel. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas DC keeps everything in house. And to be honest, I think DC will always keep everything in house uh, to the point where I can imagine DC literally becoming a boutique publisher that only does collected editions of previously published material and not doing any new material before they outsource everything. At this point, mm-hmm. I think Time Warner just like looks at. I think Time Warner is perfectly prepared to turn DC into like a niche publisher. You know, whatever. Like we will make, you know, a hundred dollars a fucking year as long as we keep hold of the IP. Um, whereas I can very much imagine D- Disney going fuck it. Like, sure, IDW can have all the the, the licenses for all we care. Um, and I can also, for that matter, I can imagine Disney making that decision in the next five years. Right. Uh, but it wouldn't, like, you know, if that happens and IDW is publishing Avengers and Spider-Man, as long as the comics are good, sure, fine. Mm-hmm. That, that wouldn't particularly uh, upset me beyond, like I said, like the weird moment of like, oh, that's sad, but, you know, you have that all the time. I'm sad the deadline doesn't exist. I'm sad that Eclipse isn't a publisher anymore. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. What about you? Uh, I, well, I, th- I think, I think your points are, are, are strong. I'm good. So it's going to make me feel kind of foolish disagreeing with some of them. Um, first and foremost, I think, I think if the direct market does fall apart, then it's, a weird scenario that I I can't necessarily imagine, right? I, I honestly I, I can't. Can't imagine the direct market falling apart? No, no, no. I can imagine the direct market falling apart. After that happens, I don't know. I can't, It'd be very hard for me to piece together what would happen in that scenario. I think it'd be fun to talk about, and I think I could thrash some things out, but I don't think it's necessarily what Brian's asking about. As long as the direct market is in place, Marvel and DC are very profitable because the way that the direct market is set up and the way that comic book publishing is set up, 
the more titles that you publish, the less expensive it is to publish them, which means the more profit that you can grind out in the margins. It's easier if you've got the investment and the machinery in place to roll out quote unquote big profits if you're publishing a bunch of titles as long as the marketplace is in place and you know quote unquote healthy um DC and Marvel make money on every issue of every comic book that they publish below above a certain point what that point is nobody really talks about and it has to do with a lot of various factors about essentially how much money do you pay to management to, to basically for editors and for all the in-house stuff that you have. I think Disney traditionally is a, uh, very cost conscious, um, company, but I think that both Disney and Time Warner are relatively secure publicly owned properties. I could be incredibly naive, but my theory is, is the only time that you see marginally profitable things, um, dissembled piecemeal is that investors are screaming for higher and better profits. You know, if, if DC turned around, uh, Time Warner turned around and sold DC to like a conglomerate of investors headed by Ronald Perlman who like gathered together billions of dollars of junk bonds, then yeah, I could see them turn around, take that, decide to create value for their investors or pay back their junk bonds by liquidating essentially their assets and then taking the money and disappearing with it. But as relatively super large mega companies, I think that Time Warner and Marvel, uh, the Time Warner and Disney with DC and Marvel see a steady profit that's not at the level sometimes that they would like. They probably have goals that they want to see hit. And both DC and Marvel are doing things that make sure that those things are hit. But even if those things aren't in place, Marvel and DC are profitable. It's just as big mega companies, the difference between, well, you're only bringing in 300 million for us. We want to see $500 million because we promised our investors this much growth. And like I said, at that point, they're not really going to disassemble something that's profitable. You know, I, what I see with Marvel, Marvel's choice to send things out to IDW or Marvel's decision to do digest through Archie are that they do not have those mechanisms in place and they don't want to pay to put those mechanisms in place. But the actual thing of grinding out comics and having editors who know talent and making sure that they can deal with the comics press and that they get a certain number of sales and that they do the things like someone, someone who doesn't know comics at Disney you know, as long as that money gets delivered, they're like, okay, these guys know what they're doing. Like, why would I replace, you know, Axel Alonso, who has 25 years in the business and is bringing in these numbers? Why would I want to replace that person with, you know, I don't know, um, 
you know, the head of ABC, unless I think that the head of ABC has ideas that will give us even more money and it's worth upsetting that apple cart for. Like sometimes, so in other words, short of getting super greedy, I don't think that DC and Marvel are ever going to get shut down by Time Warner and Disney because they are, they're profitable. They're not losing money. They do not lose money. They make money and they generally, although they have to cheat to do it, hit the sales targets that, that Time Warner and uh Marvel depend on them for. And currently, again, there's that like, oh, they're an IP cash cow sort of thing. I think as long as the direct market's in place, we're not going to see that problem for 10 years, maybe 15 years. You know, if the direct market collapses and you suddenly have, suddenly all your monthly comic books aren't making money because literally there's no way to make back your costs because because you're only selling... 8,000 copies of Batman because that's all that you can place at like, I don't know, like Walmart or something like that, then, then I think it's a very different game. And then I think that game is kind of what you say, Graham, that it's going to be like Marvel, particularly DC is going to be like, you know what? We can, we've got the material to basically publish Superman and Batman stories for life. You know, which was always the big fear back when every time the comic book people started talking about unionizing, especially in the seventies, people were like, why? If we're, if we cost them too much money, they'll just switch to reprinting 40 years of reprint books and, you know, and, and that's the end of us. Honestly, there's probably a better case to be made now with there being more money and with there being perennial sellers. You know, for them to be like, oh, okay, we should kind of, honestly, if it even holds up enough, there might be the point where they're going to start investing in new IP if they literally are like, our biggest hits are 20 and 30 years old and we haven't had anything since. Why is that? Maybe they will actually be like, eh, okay, maybe some profit participation, maybe, you know, um, Maybe. So that's that's my theory. I happen to know that at DC conversations like what you just said have happened. Okay. That people at Marvel are aware uh, – people at DC, rather, are aware that the perennial sellers are 30 years old. Yeah. And are wondering why the perennial sellers are 30 years old. Mm-hmm. And have, uh, for my money – remarkably good theories about why that's the case mm-hmm. and what to do in response to that. Mm-hmm. I've heard nothing from Marvel that makes me think that they are even thinking that long term. <laughs> no, I agree. I don't think that Marvel is and I think Marvel is. That's the only reason why I find that alarming, because as far as I'm concerned, that just means that there needs to be, like, probably an in-house correction, like, there's got to be, there's time for a job churn there, is the worry that Marvel might end up taking out the direct market or severely, mor- well, mortally that's, wounding that's, the direct market. That's where we are right now. Yeah. That Marvel is such a big player in the direct market that if it really fucks up... Yep. It could take the Drake market with it. That's right. And it's just continually showing signs of fucking up. Yeah. Yep. Like that's the amazing thing. Yeah. That it, it is just 
at, at every opportunity mm-hmm. going, probably the worst thing I could do right now. Oh, this thing. Let's do that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, no. Very you know, consistently. That, that, yep. Yep. I agree. That, that's the worry. Yep. That's, that's, that's a very real problem. Yeah. Well, and, and honestly, part of me is like, yeah, that, that is, that is, that is, that is a huge problem. It really is. But we've got, we've got a few things. I mean, a lot of it is, yeah, the, honestly, it's, I can't tell. Part of me is like, yeah, you know, the direct market's on life support, but it, it doesn't take much to, for it to turn around and become healthy. And frankly, there's something to be said for having two, many eggs in the basket. If Marvel gets exactly unhealthy enough that the direct market, and it's been happening slowly and surely enough, one would want to think that the fucking direct marketplace, that the comic stores are like, you know what? I'm going to try and sell more copies of Walking Dead. Like, I'm going to try and sell more copies of Saga. Like, I'm going to try and sell more but, copies but of... are they going to even have the opportunity to do that when Marvel's solution to we're fucking up is, well, what if we make even harder uh, yeah. qualifications levels? Yeah. No, I know. I know. Well, but You'll see, have to spend even exactly. more money on us. Right. Well, and the problem is, is the stores that are like, well... What choice do I have? Yeah, exactly. And that could take everyone out. And we really are. We're very close to that point. We've had years of where a lot of stores have tried to diversify. And some stores have diversified into comics. I feel like a lot of stores have diversified into games. They take the money from comics. They put it into games. I don't necessarily think that that's a better solution. That might be a better solution for the success of their store if the direct market collapses. I don't think that's better for the direct market. And I, honestly, but I think I'm, I'm just hoping because Marvel is doing this over a slower and longer period of time than say when the first and second comics implosions happened in the nineties, maybe we have a chance, but Alternately, maybe, maybe we don't. I don't, I don't know. Like you said, DC, I think, is looking ahead. I think Marvel, again, is just doing, is, it refuses to learn those lessons because they just reject them, you know? And I, and, think, and the crazy thing is, if you think about where we were, like, even at the beginning of this year, mm-hmm. there was a lot of talk of, like, Marvel's learned its lesson. Marvel, like Marvel's definitely doing things differently this year. Marvel's hearing what people are saying. They've definitely learned their lesson. And then, you know, cut to now and you're like, Marvel didn't learn anything. Right. Well, Marvel I, learned literally bullshit. I, and they promised that they were hearing everyone. But they clearly then, weren't. Yeah. But I think, yeah. but I think a lot of, I don't think a lot of people were turning around and saying like, oh, Marvel's learned their lesson. I think what, I think what people were saying is a lot of people were saying, let's hope Marvel's learned their lesson. Like, I don't think there was, that there, there was there many was, people. There was that... genuinely, no, there was genuinely as well people going, no, they're, they're saying all the right things. We think they've really learned. Eh. Well, it makes sense. There really was, yeah. Jeff. There was That's a true. Lot I t- I'll take your word for it. I'll I am stunned by yeah. what Marvel is saying. They've actually learned this time. Yeah. There was real surprise and real hope. Yeah. And now, <laughs> We'll see, and that's it. Say goodbye, direct markets. Yep. Well, yeah, we'll see. I I don't know. I mean, there is that thing of they said it. I don't. Who knows? I, like, I really have that thing of like, I don't. Who knows when the? Who knows if when those stores who over 
speculated on Marvel Legacy number one are going to collapse. You know what I mean? Like, will it be this year? Like, will it be at the end of this year? Like, I don't, you know, or will it have happened already? I don't, I don't, I don't know that process. I really don't. Uh, but yeah, I think, I think we're right at the precipice. And I think that we're only, you know, the fact that it's kind of skirting there is probably, it's hanging on by a couple of fingernails. And the fact is, is that we do need, we need more comics that sell 80,000 copies and above. And we need a couple of big mega events that do, you know, civil war like numbers, I think. You know, we at least need one of those a year, but part of me would be better if we just managed to get all the numbers up on those books. But part of me, and this is the other thing that I think is weird is like, maybe the the problem, like I said, because comics companies make money on the margins, you know what I mean? Like you, you grind out a little bit of like some, somebody like boom, Ross Ritchie makes a little bit of money by having a lot of titles make just a little bit of money. And he pays very few people. He pays a lot of people very little. He gets the money. And then every once in a while, something like Lumberjanes comes along and there's a lot of money. And then who that money goes to, it's usually probably Ross Ritchie. But maybe maybe other people are involved as well. I don't know. Marvel really just kind of does the same thing, but just on a much, much larger scale and so the problem is that when you're making money on the margins you have the incentive to flood the market with too much product and so even dc dc that i think is being as sensible and as smart as you can i still think is publishing too many titles and i think that Marvel's publishing too many titles and I think the sad fact is is that because they are there's a lot of very talented people that are sort of able to eke out a mis- not very good living um working for comics maybe it would be better if there were fewer titles but it would also mean that fewer creators were getting paid but they might be making a better standard of living because in theory the marketplace could actually band together and and figure out how to sell uh you know 80 titles a month in the entire direct marketplace as opposed to 375 plus titles a month you know so i i don't know you know, and at that point, it's like, well, that sounds that sounds great, but don't you? Doesn't that mean that it's going to be more homogenous product that you're going to hear less varied voices, you know, or fewer voices of, um, you know, or does it just mean that what you're going to be getting is um, more solid product that is easier that is going to command more eyeballs because there's less competition for it and more of a guarantee of of quote unquote quality you know i don't i don't i honestly don't know how to answer that for what it's worth i do think that amazingly enough comics aren't the only realm that's undergoing this kind of struggle like tv is you know, this whole thing where you hear about more um channels exiting the scripted uh market, you know. It's like the golden age of TV was huge, but a lot of people couldn't figure out how to make money in it. And some pe- a lot of co- 
companies lost their shorts and they're like, Ugh, we're going to go back to trying to grind out, you know, um, uh, TV trucking reality shows or something with a lower overhead. But one could say part of the, the, the golden age was created in part by really t- horrifying levels of uh, deregulation under Ronald Reagan that allowed for a proliferation of um, companies, you know, channels in the marketplace being owned by, and blah, 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 blah. To sum up, Blah, no, blah, I, blah, I, blah, I, blah. I, I, I get what you're saying. Uh, I do think it's funny that I was like, this is the last question. And then it's like, so we're ending the podcast on an up note. <laughs> <laughs> it's all happiness. It's all, it's all, it's all rainbows and joy. Comics right? are great, you guys. It's just the business of comics that fucking sucks. <laughs> well, but again, it's that weird thing of like, Yes, but what was um, what allows for this go- this more recent golden age of comics? Really, we're kind of close. I mean, this is a better time in that sense, in part because we do have bookstores involved, we do have collections involved, we do have digital marketplace and web comics, and I mean, for the industry, it's good. For the people, it's terrible. And when you slice it into the direct market, things get dire. But I, who knows? You know what I mean? I just don't. There's there's the expansion and the contraction. I worry that there. I think there has to be a contraction. What that? What will be standing after that contraction? Hopefully, there will be enough that we can then begin expanding again. You know. Mm-hmm. So, everything's going wrong is what we're saying what we're also <laughs> saying is this there will be show notes for this episode and other content uh, I'm going to be writing about before Watchmen uh, this week I'm going to be writing about shit what am I writing about Dr. Manhattan and Crimson Corsair holy shit about. wow and let me tell you Crimson Corsair Jeff. man oh man um uh, that's going to be on there. Matt Terrell's going to be writing something. Uh, so there's going to be there's going to be a host of stuff at waitwhatpodcast.com this week. Yeah. There is going to be a bunch of stuff on the Tumblr, waitwhatpod.tumblr.com. We are on Twitter at waitwhatpodcast. Jeff's on Twitter solo at lazybastid at L-A-Z-Y-B-A-S-T-I-D. I'm on Twitter solo at Graham M at G-R-A-E-M-E-M. And that suddenly reminds me, Jeff, I will tell you the story and you will find it as funny as everyone else I've told the story to today. I am in a, a place getting lunch mm-hmm. and I order and they say, could you give me your name? And I say, my name is Graham. What name do you think he wrote down thinking that I'd said my name was? Uh, okay. I, I shouldn't really guess, but I've got to give it at least a thing. Um, Kurt. Rio. What? Rio? Rio. As in like Rio. the Duran Duran song? Oh, yes. It's the point where God. when the guy, a different man is giving me the food, he goes, Rio? And I go, that's me. And he says, that's not your name, is it? And I was like, of course that's not my name. That is great. Uh, oh, my Graham. name is Rio, and hey. I'm dancing in the scene or whatever this is. Dancing <laughs> in the sands. Oh. Dance, whatever. Oh, yeah. Rio, Rio. There you go. It's your name yeah. across the Rio Grande. Oh my God, Graham slash Rio. Right, that is it's just, great. It, it, exactly. I I just had to share that. Uh, we are 
a Patreon supporter podcast. Jeff will not say the word dosh, but he is going to talk about Patreon right now, everyone. Yeah. Hey, everyone. Uh, you know what? It's just like I embarrassingly stumbled over myself uh, not too long ago. We love all our listeners. We're incredibly touched that on Patreon there are people who um, appreciate what we do uh, enough that they give something back to us. That really is incredibly energizing and exciting. Um, sometimes it gives me a little bit of extra money to make an absurd comic book purchase, which makes me super happy. And I try and pour it back into uh, this uh, comic book podcast. So it's like a just a happy, happy cycle of life. But we're incredibly grateful to all of our listeners, all of our supporters on Patreon. But we want to give a special shout out to the kind crew at American Ninth Art Studios, as well as Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy, to whom we are especially grateful for their continuing support of this podcast and in their uh, continued celestial beneficence. Graham? And also, thanks for all that dosh. <laughs> See, now when you say it, that that's our solution. <laughs> <laughs> we will be back uh, next week. And I guess we'll do the second half of the questions. I guess that's true. And so then we'll bump back Baxter building, bump back Baxter building by a week. Well, no, next, next week wouldn't be a Baxter building anyway, would it? Well, I thought it would be. Wouldn't it be the second weekend, the second... I know, I'm fairly sure, I'm fairly sure our last episode was a Baxter building. Oh yeah, but that was just because we were late, I thought. Let me go and check. Did we write it down? Uh, no, but I can just go back on the website and see what the last episode was. Oh, I see what you're saying. And hilariously, because Matt and I have been writing up a storm on the website, it's taking some scrolling to find what the last episode was. exactly, Oh god, we really had to write a bunch of what the hell were we thinking? Yeah, the last episode was a Baxter building, so the next episode will be a regular rate was. Finishing questions, and then we'll do a Baxter building. Yay! That works out perfectly. It all works out, everyone! Hooray! We will be back in a week answering your other questions, and I genuinely thought we'd get through all the questions tonight. Just goes to show, I'm a fucking moron. <laughs> Bye!